gosh, I, I forgot I even had that in my pack. Yeah, that's the craziest part, man. I, if Joe flicked my ear, I'd probably conk him in the forehead. And we're back, everybody. Welcome to Kafarcast. Got Aaron across from us, and we have Canada's most deadly man. Steve Eklund. <laughs> What's going on? Oh, wow. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> oh, fuck. That is a giant watch. I just noticed that. What is that? Uh, Sunto or, yeah, Sunto or something like that. The big one. Frank, what do you got over there? Mine's dead, oh. actually. Look at that. That's ghetto, isn't it? Is that ghetto? My, my watch is dead. Good Lord. I left this the is, charger at my girlfriend's he house. Just, this he is out, a Garmin. He, he outwatched the shit out of you. Well, mine's not even on. Oh, what uh, is that? G-Shock? No. It's a uh, Instinct Solar. I'll break it. I fucking break every once I can't do. I I looked at those. I can't do the plug in charge em ups. Yeah, yeah. I fucked <laughs> you up. Got obviously. Yeah. yeah. At least yeah. I'm wearing one. I guess. Stylish. Yeah. So, <laughs> what are you doing in our neck of the woods? You know, I figured uh, <laughs> come down. It's uh, kind of right before Christmas and uh, doing a little bit of the real the real job stuff. Come down uh, see a few oil and gas clients, and then uh, I got a good buddy of mine that we do a bunch of business with here and. Typically this time of year, come down and do a mule deer hunt here in Colorado. And uh, this year we actually did whitetail. Never shot a whitetail here in Colorado, so that was fun. Uh, and then uh, actually blazed over and did a one and a half day hunt in Nebraska to kill a weekend off. And that didn't pan out, but we got to stalk a few mule deer and got a couple of little whitetails. Was it cold over there? Or? Uh, no. I mean, comparatively speaking, from home, no. Where are you, where are you from normally? Uh, Alberta, Canada is home now. Red Deer. Oh, gotcha. So that's not you. We've been close to there. Um, so where where we hunted was closer to Medicine Hat. Yeah, down in the south there. Yeah, yeah. But so why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Uh, for those who who don't know the the great Eklund. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> where do I where do I start? I mean, I guess r- right out of the gates, you know, I'm uh, kind of a big deal, so I'd be surprised. To, <laughs> I'd be surprised if any of your listeners didn't know me. <laughs> okay. That's funny. Oh Lord. But uh, yeah, kind of uh, grew up in uh, northern Ontario, Canada, and uh, made my way out to uh, the western side of the of the world uh, about 26 years ago, I guess. And uh, yeah, just been. Uh, no, it's kind of my routine is uh, work, hunt, repeat. Uh, yeah. So what do you do in the oil and gas uh, industry? As little as possible these <laughs> days uh, and still hope that I get a paycheck. Uh, but How uh, is oil and gas doing it's considering start, our uh, political climate? Better it, climate? It's starting to come around, you know, it's, it's getting busy. And I mean, I know everybody thinks it's tied, you know, typically to politics and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, the longer I'm in this game, it just kind of... You know, the fear of politics will hold stuff up a little bit and then it booms. It's a boom and bust industry, you know, just like anything else. But right now it's booming. Good. I know you guys here in Colorado have it a little different um, because of your politics. Yeah, there seems to be a push to go to uh, clean energy or electric. I mean, there's obviously mining involved, but there seems to be a, a push in America at least to yeah, go into clean. I just, but- I just saw a video where they were going off about the new electric powered car. And then they said, how did you charge that battery? And if it was off of a hole. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. No. What the f- I, uh, I watch Dan Crenshaw go off on this shit all the time about uh, the subsidies or whatever. The, the, it, 
wind and solar energy is not sustainable on its own. There's not one project that doesn't have major funding to make it work. Um, and so, uh, you know, looking at all this, like, you know, where, where the end is, you know, for a dumb, you know, redneck like myself, I, you know, if, if you kill petroleum, um, you know, studying that, contacts are made of petroleum. You know, you put in your eyeballs, your shoes, your soles, if you're, I mean, pretty much everything. everything. You know, so I don't understand how the fuck that's going to pan out in the yeah, long no, run. It's not. <laughs> I mean, everybody wants to be the first to the table to be, you know, a forward thinking company and going solar and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, but oil and gas, coal, I mean, these are the money makers. And I mean, if you ever want to get out of debt, yeah. st- you got to start. Oh, and and it's an you know a renewable resource. It's right here at our fingertips. Yeah, it's just gonna. I mean, I would say I, the, where I would probably argue with you is it's a money maker for solar power and for wind energy for who's making the fucking turbines. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're crazy, on the other if end you're crazy it, enough to get into it, but I'm pretty sure like a wind a wind turbine. I mean, it'll never pay itself off. I mean, no. I think that um when they build when they when they do some of the different studies. Uh, like, uh, I think they said Kodiak Island uh, was one. Well, there's not very many people on Kodiak and it's windy as fuck. Yeah. Yeah, that's doable. <clears throat> but if you're looking at Colorado, I mean, there's, there's no, no way. I mean, the entire state would be covered in fucking solar panels and wind turbines. Yeah. So you think it's ugly oil and gas. I mean, wait till you can't see the ground because it's oh, a plus fucking it solar kills, panel. Yeah. It kills a bunch of birds of prey. Yeah. Oh, Eagles yeah. Eagles and hawks and all that stuff. Well, and uh, yeah. coyotes got to eat too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no shit. <laughs> oh, fuck, that's funny. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it, uh, it's, it's unique. And, you know, I, I had gotten bashed once, um, you know, talking about the, you know, from my lens and what I've seen in Alberta. I, I you know, I just was like, I, you know, I didn't see any issue with the deer population from, from the, uh, you know, the different oil and gas industries, you know. I was like, yeah, okay, they're, they're an eyesore, but, um, what, one of the things we talked about when we had a couple BHA members on was, so we're just going to fuck over everyone else, but the United States, like, so we're going to, we're, we're going to rape the rest of the world, but, but not our own, you know? And I'm not, um, saying that we should, um, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into the, um, environmental aspect of this, but you got to have oil and gas, right? I mean, you, you got to. And so that's where I was kind of like, well, I, I'm not saying, you know, we don't need to do a better job, but w- w- we do need it. And, 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 and solar and, and uh, wind turbines are, are not the answer to me. Not, not totally. But, I think I no. read something the other day that said uh, most of the world's pollution comes from like the 100 of the world's top corporations. And a lot of that stuff is uh, manufacturing in like uh, China and India where they don't have as many restrictions on pollution and stuff so it's not necessarily coming from north america it's coming from asia mainly pollution is anyway yeah yeah i don't i don't i'm not smart enough to to know enough Um, neither am i i'm like i'm I'm actually kind of nervous right now because you guys are both talking way over my head (laughs) well let's get back to hunting because that's something i am good at so uh we all are um with the with the hunting stuff i mean tell everybody a little about what you got going on in the hunting you got a bino harness um you and how big is that fucker? The bino harness? No, Apple. Uh, <laughs> oh, Joe's last name? Yeah, Apple. Joe Apple. Apple. Okay, so right. Yeah, how big is Joe? He looks like a monster. Yeah, he's a monster. You yeah. know, uh, he came on board with us uh, two years ago. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things. So 
you know, I've been doing the show now for well, tell everybody 12 it, years. Oh, what the show is the and edge, all that yeah, stuff, where they I can guess. find it. Yeah. You're yeah. a fucking horrible marketer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the edge TV show. Uh, it's, it's, uh, 13. We'll be filming season 13 here, uh, coming up right away, starting in the new year. And, uh, yeah, so been around a long time. It's been a pretty good run for me. You know, I started out, I got two, you know, kind of gig offers uh, to host TV shows uh, 12 years ago, and they came in the same week. And I had no intentions or, or sight to be a hunting TV host by any means. Uh, but, you know, I was, I was shooting professional archery at the time and had accumulated a bunch of sponsors and, and, and folks that stood behind me for that. And, of course, I've always been a hunter, you know. And uh, so way back, I guess it was 1999, I won a gold, mat, gold medal at the national championships for 3D archery on the 3D circuit. And after that, I just kind of let it go. And I haven't shot a competitive tournament ever since. You know, I just wanted to hunt. Let's talk about Did that. Did you get burnt out on the, on the tournament scene or what made yeah, you stop? No, I, it's, that's 100% what happened. I got burnt out there in order to be number one, I think. Not only in that arena, but just about any other arena, you have to dedicate. Let, let me rewind just a sacrifices. little. Sacrifices. Because I, I shot tournaments, same exact as you. Can you shoot 40 targets now, or do you got it like 20 and say, fuck it? Because I can't make it through 40 it's, now. <laughs> it's, nowadays, it's yeah. like golf. Like 18 holes is way too much. Like, stop it at 13, or I'm going to pass out in the golf cart. To, to, to <laughs> me, at one time, probably like yourself, and I, I, I'm asking you this from my perspective. I would take off work to set up a new bow. I, I, would, I would judge yardage constantly. I would constantly shoot, and I couldn't wait to get on the course. And then at the end, I would have three bows in boxes like, fuck it, I'm not going to put them. You know what I mean? I just didn't want anything to do with it. And now, 20 targets in of me judging yardage and paying attention on each shot, I'm like, yeah, fuck this. I'm done. Are yeah. You- I, well, for me, you know, what it was is I had a goal in mind, and I wanted to be the best. You know, I'm super competitive by nature. and um you know, in order to, in order to achieve that, it was such a commitment. And, and like you said, you know, it's such a sacrifice because you're still trying to make a living and, and Lord knows you can't make a living and pay the mortgage and feed your family, uh, shooting professional archery. I can tell you that. Levi can. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, one, yeah. the one exception. <laughs> there's, yeah. There's, there are exceptions. Levi's definitely one of them. Um, what'd you shoot like for the most part for bow, your bow and your general setup and uh, what class? Well, back then, yeah, I was a, a bow hunter class and i'd shoot in the unlimited category so that frank well explain it to, to frank what that means well back then at least it meant you know i was fixed pins uh you know a short stabilizer just basically a hunting rig mm-hmm. and i would go in the open class uh against you know anything and everything oh wow so and but you for, were good at pin gapping yeah you know split <laughs> split pin the old split pin <clears throat> the old stack and and the whole works but you know um for me, I just, I never wanted to get into that open category and movable sites and long stabilizers because I was just trying to be a more proficient killer. Did That's, you shoot a puncher or a handheld? No, oh no. It's a trigger, trigger release. No shit. Did you, and you never got target panic from that? No. You're oh. the one. Yeah. Most people do. <laughs> yeah. I would, actually, it's a funny story. You know, if it came down to a shoot off or you were in, you know, uh, one of the money nights or something like that, and there's a lot of movable targets. Yeah. Um, I think there's a huge advantage to being able to punch. So let's talk about that. Um, I, and I think Philmus would say the same thing. If I had to make one shot count, it'd be with a trigger. 
if I had to make five count, I would want my hinge. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I got on this little kick about two or three years ago and I, you know, I gathered up, you know, I talked to all of our partners and I, you, cause I'll get something in my head and I, and I truly believe I can make it happen. Mm-hmm. So for example, and I, and I truly believe this, you know, maybe inspirational based, Yeah. but like if I wanted to be a professional golfer, two years, I'd be on the PGA tour. Mm-hmm. I believe that. I yeah. truly believe that. Not that I'd ever want to be a fucking golfer, <laughs> but you Gophers. know, for me, you know, I, I got on this kick. Well, I'm going to go to Vegas. I'm going to go win that Vegas spot tournament. Yeah. So called up prime, called up black gold, all the, you know, all the partners and anyways, get one of these fancy, what do you call them? The hinge release deals, yeah. you know, the back pressure deals. Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> you want to talk about target panic? Well, and it's, it's, it's weird. Everybody gets it differently. Um, and so you probably were a controlled puncher. Like you could control your shot and, and squeeze off the trigger. Yeah, absolutely. Most, most guys eventually that bites them, you know, they'll hold low or, you know, whatever the, the case. And so I, I was on the other end of the spectrum when I had a trigger, I had to go to a hinge and now I can go back to a trigger. But I, um, was shooting last night. I was telling Frank, I've set up a compound cause I have been shooting a stick for a while. And, uh, well, actually, I think I said I miss hitting what I'm aiming at was part of it because I was back at like 85 yards and I could not hit that with a stick. But I, I do notice myself after about an hour with the trigger, I start punching more and not squeezing it. Where with a hinge, I never make a bad shot. I think it's each person's different. I mean, I know it is. I mean, you obviously have probably good mental control of your shot and it never became a well, problem. I, I think one of the things for me is I still, you know, to this day, even though I'm not shooting competitively, I mean, I'm hunting competitively. Yeah. And, uh, Learning your trigger and relearning your trigger is a is a, a weekly routine for me. So, I mean, I'll set up just like you have out here, your target at five feet, and I'll draw back <clears throat> and then close your eyes. And when you close your eyes, it really eliminates some, some major factors, right? And then you can feel it and learn your trigger. And five, five shots like that at five feet, and then move back to your 20, 30, 40-yard positions, and, uh, you know, it'll start you Started when it goes off. Yeah, I good. think we talked about that quite a bit. Blind bail shooting, whatever yeah, yeah. you want to call it. But it's funny if you film a guy with his eyes closed and open, quite a bit of difference sometimes, you yeah. know, like how much difference being that pin movement makes for a lot of guys. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, I've taken that concept to many great lengths. I mean, um, shooting it without a shirt on. Yeah. It sounds crazy, but it kind of, uh, I don't know if you want to call it like a naked feeling or, well, you are naked. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, well, you got pants on for the, mo- for the most part, I guess. Because <laughs> of how much you've been drinking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think, it's, I think that's key to using a trigger really well. But I, I just want to be in a position and I want to know my equipment and be proficient enough with that gear uh, to make the shot count when I need to. I mean, you never know when that once-in-a-lifetime animal is going to be standing there. And is he standing at 25 or is he standing at 75? Do you, uh, do you like rotate triggers releases, like different weights and stuff, or are you trying to keep it as consistent? No, I mean, I'm pretty consistent. You know, I'm the guy that finds a release that I really like. I'll buy a half a dozen of them. I'll pull out all the springs and all the gadgets. So they're as light as possible. And then, uh, roll with that. And when one wears out or gets lost, switch it out. Gotcha. Frank, you probably... I don't know when was that. I think, uh, like, talking about pin float and things like that, I mean, that's the biggest issue. We were at Bear Creek. I don't know how far the target was, but you had mentioned something about 
Oh, I asked you how do you how do you keep your pin on the eighty so so well? Yeah, and I was like, I fucking don't. You know, fucking floating all over the place. It, I just keep looking at the target. It's definitely one of those things. You know, when I talk to a lot of archers and they're trying to figure it out. Um, for me, I simplify everything, uh, no matter what I do, because number one, I'm not smart enough to really overthink it, and two, I think just by simplifying things, the biggest thing you want to do when it comes to accuracy is spend the the quality time on your zeroing on your sighting in right so for me with fixed pins i mean i'll drive i'll drive anyone nuts because i'll be you know i've i've got an indoor range at the house now finally which is 20 yards and i could only afford to do that once my eyes fucking went on me and i can't i can't see i can't see that far down there anymore but i'll spend you know days uh sighting in a 40 yard pin date literally days yeah um so once your equipment is really good uh, and, and you're confident from a cold position, you know, because that's the one that counts, um, then simplify it. You have your pin, you know your yardage because everybody's got a rangefinder nowadays. Just hold your pin on the target and cut it loose. That's it. Super simple. Whether it's 20 yards or 80 yards, put your I, pin on it and cut it loose. I think where, uh, well, I don't, where, where people get into the, the most trouble is that pin float and, and worrying about it. And uh, I don't, um, uh, you know, at one time I was definitely not at the, where you're talking about, like I was overanalyzing everything in, in a good way. But I mean, I would put a laser and I learned this, I went to a shooting school at PSE, but I put a laser on my stabilizer so you, and I would film my pin movement mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, different stabilizer setups, different releases, see what I was, you know, not just aiming best with, but also what would go to shit on my release. Um, and I, one thing I know, it's like a thumb button. I would break the fucking, you know, ball off that thing or the barrel yeah. hammering it at different times where a puncher or a hinge, I wouldn't certain stabilizer setups. I'd hold a little steadier. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's when you go to the actual execution of the shot, people probably overanalyze that. Like yeah. you want to be able to hold steady. You want to have the best setup you can, but I don't, and I, I would say, when you talk about hunting, when people miss, well, let's get your perspective. Why do they miss? What would you say most people miss from? I think they miss, you know, primarily through excitement and uh, through a desire to be successful. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, people put a lot of pressure on themselves when that big buck walks out. Um, you know, you, you do it all day long in the backyard and it's just about keeping your composure and, and, and sending it appropriately. Yeah. But <clears throat> for... You know, when a guy sits up there and, and he starts thinking, I mean, guys are always thinking, well, that deer's going to duck me. And, you know, and as soon as you start thinking stuff like that, then, then your mind wanders and you're gone, right? Yeah, I, I think I, I agree. Um, you know, one of the things um, I had, one of my clients I had, uh, he was missing left. And usually that's jamming your nose into the string too hard and then your peeps offset and you got to shoot. Anyway, I, I'm like... I didn't help the, the situation because when the ram was coming in, I was like, oh, he was at, I was like, 102, fuck, he's big, 83, ah, damn, that thing is a giant, 64, fuck, dude, he's over 30. That was not helping the situation. Cause <laughs> got, you know, because I was caught, you know what I mean? I've done it enough where I was like, this thing's a, it's a tank. And I was like, don't oh. fuck this up. Yeah, I did tell him not to fuck this up. <laughs> um, it was one of the bigger, bigger rams we'd taken with a bow, Pro probably the third biggest. Um, Turn broadside, I'm like 43, kill it. He fucking missed by like three feet. And oh. then it ran, but it ran closer. So I'm like, yeah, oh, we're good, we're good, reload. 
you shot. And I'm like, miss. And I'm like, at this point thinking, mm, the, the percentages of success is dwindling fucking heavily. It fucking ran closer. And I was like, <laughs> that's 28. What, what kind of a ram are we talking about here? Cause that's the hunt I want to go on. <laughs> there are, those Audad. Oh, the um, Audads, the Burberry. So, yeah. The Burberry, which are actually a goat, I guess. And the thing with those, um, with that, I would say is like, you know, hunting tons of different sheep. What, what is difficult to kill for them is they hardly ever bed and they're always in large numbers. Large groups. Yeah. But when you find those old ancient rams alone, you know, I knew that ram only wanted to get to his bed. He just wanted to fucking chill for a minute and we were in it, right? Yeah. We, were, we were there. So he just heard shit falling. He didn't know what the fuck was going on because it was a little windy. He wasn't hearing the bow go off. Yeah. So he, he's like looking around and he's fucking birds and kept coming. And right place, right time, because if there was no wind, we, we would have been fucked. That's the so, Helen Keller ramp. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah, that's no shit. And so when he's, he's like looking around and then running, but he's running up to his safe place, right? He's not running away, you know, four miles, because the one we had blown out five minutes before that, we were on a stock. We broke a branch 10 yards from him, and he ran for a fucking mile. We, he ran so far we couldn't see him anymore. Yeah. Well, this other ram... It wasn't in his bed when we stepped on a stick. He was coming to bed. And so he didn't, he didn't see us. And so it, it saved us basically. So he hit it at 28 and, uh, you know, steep angle. Well, it was in the rut. So he's looking like he takes off looking back, trying to find who the fuck just kicked his ass. So he circles around and we're like, oh shit, he's leaving. Well, he's like, fuck you. I'm coming back to beat the shit out of this ram. So he blew a couple of times. They make this crazy kind of snort noise when they're pissed. And then ended up walking like 12 yards in front of us looking to kick someone's ass. And he ended up getting another arrow in him. Again, if I would have shut the fuck up because I saw that kid shoot javelinas the next day, perfect control. Yeah. I should have shut up Again, because I know, had him so excited by I the time I got there. And I do. I think it's, I think it has a lot to do with species too, right? Like, uh, some of the, some of the best archers I know, um, and I'm not mentioning any names on this, have missed terribly on dull sheep, bighorns. Um, but these are hunts that, you know, high risk, high, high risk, risk yeah. high, you know, high monetary value, um, for, you know, to even go on the opportunity. Uh, but they'll come out and they'll plug whitetails in the backyard at, you know, 50 yards all day long. Yeah. You know, or like you said, you know, javelinas. Javelina is like the fun little extra, you yeah, know, that you get. Halftime fun is yeah, what we call yeah, it. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> ha it's like ha the halftime show, right? Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, again, but it's the pressures that one puts on himself to, to be successful doing it. I always feel like it, it gets worse. The excitement gets worse the longer you have to wait. Like, yeah, it does for me. When I see a white tail come in from 300. Yeah, you're like, like oh, fuck. I'm pretty well Don't fucked fuck by up. the time it gets under me. Yeah. The only time I've seen you have a bad day was, was probably Alberta. Pressure. Yeah, that's the only oh, time man. I've ever seen you. I shit the bed that hunt. That was, <laughs> was, I wasn't going to say that. but uh, That was probably the, that was the worst hunt I've had. I mean, it was the coolest, one of the coolest experiences the first time we went to Alberta because there was just big deer everywhere. But, but that's, that's it right there. Yeah, literally everything that could go wrong went wrong on that hunt. Like. I shot at a deer one one day, and my re my arrow wasn't even on my rest. And yeah, just the arrow went off. Mule deer the, and, Yeah, yeah. And Ryan's like the guide, Ryan Harder. He's like, dude, what the fuck? This oh, you're, you're with Harder. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, You could ask him about it, man. That was that was a, a rough experience, but, but I this, got redemption the, the following year. But yeah, everything went wrong. But you're you're it, right. This is the thing, you know, and that's what I'm talking about. Those <laughs> pressures you put on yourself. 
this is your first time to Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, was it your first time out of the country for a hunt? We'd, no, we had been to BC for bear. Okay. And I had killed a bear then. Yeah. Um, but this was my, my first uh, uh, hunt in Alberta for mule deer. Yeah. And you, know, you like have these extra pressures on you. Like you wound one, you only get one shot, right? You can only, you fuck up, you fuck up and it's over. So it's like you have all these extra pressures that you're putting on yourself. And then I got Aaron and, and Ryan there <laughs> behind me fucking, I think uh, that one big monster buck that was off the side of the road. Um, yeah, okay. we, uh, so him being from there. You know how sometimes they'll bed closer to danger, further from harm? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he was in a little coulee, what, 150 yards off a fucking yeah. road. Yeah. When he'd probably lived there his whole life and yeah. never had anybody. Because the angle, I had to look back when, we, when I saw him, didn't, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had passed, and that angle, you could just catch the top of his fucking tines. So just pure luck we found him. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, we, um, we got up on that buck, <laughs> we 50 yards. I draw back, Ryan's like, well, Ryan asked, do you want me to stand him up? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I, I draw back and these guys are meh, meh, fucking hitting the, hitting the grass, trying to get it to stand up. It doesn't stand up. I literally, right as I let down, stands up, try to pull back real quick. It fucking runs off. And <laughs> we're just like, oh my God, that <clears throat> thing was a monster. It got away. And then that was like in my head, the rest of the, rest of the hunt. Like well, you're the, definitely with the right guy. I mean, <laughs> Harder is a good guy. Yeah. Definitely. You know, and knows that country. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, he put us. He he gave us several opportunities. I think with the mule deer, you know, one of the biggest things that where people screw up is they try to stand deer up. Yeah, yeah. I wish I would. We've never done that. In my defense, I have had good luck with it, but Lander says the same thing. He tells people not. I've stood every. Well, I've either shot them in their bed or stood up every one. But the the problem with standing them up rather than which you know and we all know. It, when they stand up naturally, you've got some time. They stretch their back, whatever. They're pretty fucking alert when you stand them up, you know, when they're unnaturally or whatever. So I think I, I probably the biggest buck I missed, I threw a cow turd at it. And I would no, no, I knew he would be on it. So I rushed the shot. Now he did give me plenty of time to fucking kill him, but I still missed because yeah, I was yeah. so nervous of him blowing him out. But my problem is, is I can't wait. You might wait three hours on one. Yeah, well, that's the, the hardest thing. <laughs> the hardest thing to do is wait, right? Because it's building anticipation as well, right? And I mean, the elements even up there in September. I mean, it can get cold. We were I there mean, in so. late October, and it was real fucking cold oh, a few yeah. times. Well, how cold was it? Because I killed mine and I flew back. It fucking snowed on you guys, didn't it? It was brutal. Yeah. <clears throat> the next year, or what was it? Two years after, yeah. we went back and I killed one, and I think I sat on that buck in a blizzard for. With no shoes on. With no shoes on for <laughs> over an hour, probably two hours. I, don't, I can't remember. I, I didn't even keep track, but Lander's like, what? Dude, you're fucking psycho. But that was the la it was the last day, last opportunity mm -hmm. to get a buck. It was, uh, I think it was one of the only stocks I went on. Yeah. I'm getting lazier as I get older. I mean, I hear all these stories about taking your boots off and stock. I'm like, fuck, I'm not taking my boots off. Not doing it. Fucking harder. So we've known each other for... A long time. We like we're together up in the NWT, and the first uh, I was with him for. So I, I had uh, scheduled ten days to hunt instead of five, uh, or twelve days instead of six, whatever, because you can't hunt Sunday. And th they had a group of guys that gave up, and so the day before my extended hunt was supposed to even start, they were like, "Hey, you can hunt tomorrow." Well, my bows in fucking pieces because I've been helping out glassing. So we sight in in the dark that night or I say sight in I put my bow together and flung some arrows in the headlights and the next morning Harder and I go out I ended up spotting a buck 
and you know how it is. It's spur, draw, spur, draw, and then big plateaus on top. So we get a plan together and I'm like, all right, I'm going to head over. And, uh, I got, I was, once I got to the bottom, cause some of those valleys are fucking mile wide, you know, I get over to their side. I'm like, I have fucking no idea if, if I'm on the right spot because I can't see what I had m- mapped out. Uh, anyway, I ended up shooting the fucking deer like 12 yards bedded. Well, it was funny cause I, uh, it looked back right when I hit full draw and, uh, I didn't know how it didn't blow out. I killed, I shot it. I killed it. And I called harder. I said, Hey, I, I, I killed it. He was glass. And he was like, yeah, it looked like you made a good shot, whatever. Um, it was fucking blind in its left eye. <laughs> so it had, it had been, it was fighting, you know, and it, yeah. it, so when it looked back, it looked, it had to have been somewhat recent. He had lost his left eye cause he certainly couldn't fucking see out of it. Yeah. And he tried to see, out, see me with his bad eye. And so he's like, of course, harder. Of course you killed it. You shot a retarded deer. You know what? You know how hard it is. He's a fucking clown. Uh, I love that guy. He's funnier than hell. He, uh, when we were, he spit on my head in camp once and, uh, he was in the top bunk. Um, and I was in the bottom. We were at the, a keel camp on the river and he just two o'clock in the morning had a dip in and I went to spit at the same time he is. And he spit right on the back of my head. And I could hear his go, Oh my fucking God, please don't kill me. I'm like, no, you're, you're good. Right. So <laughs> Tensions were a little bit high when you're two months, you know, not with him and I, we've never, we've always gotten along, but there was another guy in camp and he was really getting on my fucking nerves. And, and, uh, we were in the, in the, in the boat and, um, you know, you get in the back of the boat and the fucker about floats off the, the fucking, you know, sandbar. So this kid gets in the front of it and he's, and I keep in mind this kid is, I saw him close grip bench, 500 pounds. He's fucking strong. Right. And I'm like, Hey, dipshit get in the fucking back of the boat it'll just float off well he was strong enough to push this fucking boat off the sandbar and he goes he, he gets it pushed off he goes what'd you say <laughs> and i was like yeah frank knows how i'm yeah. like i said i'm gonna fucking beat you to death with that boat paddle and harder was going e-l-e everyone love everyone guys he's just fucking that's just harder he's just hilarious guy he was like holy fuck I didn't know what was going to happen. This is a little boat, and you guys are big because I think it's Patrick was his name. I'm 260 and 6'3. Oh, yeah. Pure muscle, <clears throat> big, big lad. fucking kid. Big lad, yeah. yeah. But he was so strong, he bent the fucking steering column on a four wheeler when he got it stuck. And so you had to drive the four wheeler crooked the rest of <laughs> the fucking time we were there to go get firewood because he'd bent it like by six inches. So he, yeah, he's a strong kid. <laughs> How long have you known Harder? Uh, I. I don't know, probably 10 years, I guess. Yeah, yeah, about, yeah, about know, a little bit, a little bit longer, about the same. Bunch of, you know, there's a bunch of guys all from that same area that are all, you know, they all tend to be guides yeah. uh, and, you know, eventually outfitters. And, uh, yeah, just a, you know, Ryan Harder, uh, Rod Johnson, uh, Byron Wolf, all those guys. Yeah. What's the other guy, uh, Harder works with him, I'm from Mule Deer in Alberta. He's a, he's a Sitka guy. Um, Ride Johnson, I think is his yeah, name. Ride yeah, Ride Johnson. Johnson, yeah. yeah super, super good guy. Yeah, he's, uh, we, you know, we ran into him at the one place you can eat up there that we, you know. Yeah. So it, it was um, like the local group of guides and outfitters yeah. every day grabbing pizza. Clay, Clay Creek Outfitting is, yeah. uh, is, his, is his gig now. And gotcha. he, he works, uh, he guides for a Big Knife too, a bunch of. Bunch yep. of hunts up there, just north of where he lives. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and uh, Harder's kind of Clay's right hand man. For, Abs- yeah, you know. absolutely, forever now. Yeah, oh yeah, I think they basically are married. They're 
Well, yeah. they're not in New Mexico this year, but they might have kids yeah. together. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's funny. Yeah, Harder's a good uh, <laughs> dude. He told us he called me. Uh, we were bullshitting after he had glided Levi on his yeah. uh, sheep hunt, and he's like, "Dude, I was so fucking nervous. I was puking behind the spotter. He was like, my stomach was because so, they just didn't have many opportunities well, to get on it. You know, you you talked about it earlier. You talk about you know the the one off and that Levi Morgan. I mean, hundred one yards that ram. Yep, hundred one. And he pinwheeled it. I mean, dude's a machine. Yeah. Machine. Yeah, Levi's awesome. He's super cool. That actually hunt, uh, I'm sure I'll come off as arrogant, but he had talked a lot of shit about traditional archers, and we were on that hunt together. And yeah. uh, I will it, say it one more time. I did shoot a much larger deer than he did with his compound with my, my stick. <laughs> I, I, I oh, in Alberta. Alberta. That down. What's it? In Alberta. In Alberta. I'm, not, I'm writing that down <laughs> in my notebook here. Okay. <laughs> I just... And he and I get along, uh, and he actually did even, I think he admitted it on the TV show uh, oh, no that I shot a bigger, and I don't, we're not competitive like that. We just rib each other all the time. Um, I'm actually was supposed to be in uh, Mississippi with him hunting, and uh, he's like, when are you going to get here? I'm going to shoot all your deer, um, you know, because I get to shoot three bucks or whatever it is, but the the dude, he can hunt and he can shoot, and uh, very early does he miss. I mean, he, everybody misses, but... He's very calm under pressure, and that that sheep, like Carter was like, dude, that was the closest. That was closest we could get to anything. So if you wouldn't have had a Levi, you probably wouldn't have shot it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think there's a big, uh, you know, there's a big difference out there too. You know, there's really good hunters, and then there's uh, you know guys who know how to kill. And I think when you combine the two, I mean, that's one of the highest compliments I can give or or get is when somebody says, hey, you know what, you're a you're a killer. Definitely. Well, and you talk about that. I mean, you don't, you, like you said, you don't like, not to say dislike podcast. You don't get on very many podcasts. You probably don't listen to very many. Um, you get guys that, um, when you have the total package, you know, they're killers and they can shoot and they have good field craft and animal behavior and, and you know, all the different, the, the package. I think um, a lot of stuff we talk up about here is a lot of guys take, hit the easy button. Well, yeah. you're older than me by a little bit. You had to learn to judge yardage with no rangefinder. Uh, yeah. So the first fucking rangefinder, and I'm going to make fun of you because you guys are, <laughs> the younger crowd's lucky, was so fucking big. It was a Bushnell Pro 500. <clears throat> Dude, was the it first was like I've a- seen. <laughs> like like uh, the golfer ones, like the big box. It looked like a big it box. Has one it's eye. as big as your new pack. You know that, yeah. that chest pack? It's exactly that. Swung up like that. Dude, I remember I saved it for as long as I could do a, I about got a divorce over it because it was... Uh, very few things in archery in recent years have been altering like a rangefinder was because you know i remember hunting antelope <clears throat> spot and stock without a rangefinder you want to talk about pissing in a fucking 40 mile an hour wind that was hunting antelope without a rangefinder now if you had a blind it was different yeah so there was no poking a hope at 85 i mean you weren't fucking hitting it because it was far or whatever distance i mean you might get like me people kill them but yeah. now down to an eighth of a yard. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, that motherfucker was about that wide, and it was a monocular. And, and uh, you, did you get one? Did oh, yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's why I'm giggling. I mean, that sucker was let's, let's enormous. take it even farther. Angle comp. There was no fucking angle comp oh, on no. this thing. So everybody that I knew that hunted in the high country, and again, this is where I'm probably jaded a bit when I listen to people complain about things. I had a fucking cut chart on my forearm and I glued a clinometer onto the side of that bitch so I could, and then you'd hold it 
Oh, 37 <laughs> degrees, and then you go to your fucking cut chart. Yeah. Cut chart to see how many yards you're going to knock <laughs> off there. Yeah, that's how it was. And so when before we had the cut chart, and I was smart enough to know what that was, we were on a sheep hunt. It was probably 67 yards. Done deal for the guy that was with me. But it was probably 43 degree angle, fucking oh. six feet over its back. Like, fucking oh, yeah. piece of shit. S- 67 yards, <laughs> shoot it for 18. That's what it, probably a 20 yard cut. Yeah. For fucking launching arrows till we didn't have any more. And so I'm like, what's this fucking piece of shit? Well, I was like, well, I'm a, the rise and the run, I started thinking about stairs. I'm like, so you take a string. Well, that doesn't add up. Like, God damn it, this isn't. How the fuck? So I math, right? I looked into it and talked to guys that knew what they were doing. And, <laughs> yeah, I looked into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, I was trying to figure out the deduction, right? Like, how much do you deduct? Well, it's it's pi basically, or what a Pythagorean theory. I don't, yeah, I'm speaking yeah. beyond my. It's the P- Pythagorean theorem. Yeah, my knowledge, my brain power, but the cut chart was easy. But then you know, you'd, you'd be on that cut chart, your right hand shaking range, and your left one shaking. You're trying to read this fucking chart. It was an interesting ordeal back then. And then bows. What was a short bow back in your day? Oh, man. A short bow was probably 35, axle to axle. And, and uh, I'm going to bring a few that will probably ring bells. Uh, the PSE Carrera, Carrera, the Hoyt Viper. Um, what was some of the others? Well, like, PSE was the first one, I think, that came out with that super, super short. Stingray, Stingray. Yeah, it was super short. And I'll tell you what, you, you, if you shot that fucker, you would have to serve the bottom portion below your knocking point to um, not, because it would, it was a wrist slapping son of a bitch. It was bad. <laughs> but the D-loops, there was no fucking D-loops back then. Like, oh, no. Talk about that. <clears throat> no, D-loop. I mean, I can still remember because I grew up fingers, even with a compound bow and shooting it instinctively. And, you know, you'd get pretty good with that thing on a pie plate out to 40 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, but literally shooting three fingers underneath um, with a brass knock. And, uh, and then, you know, you moved into sights and that made things a little easier. And you could, you know, unscrew your pin and move it up and down and uh, all by hand, you know. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> you had those little wheels on them. Uh, and then I remember making the move to, you know, a handheld release. And it was kind of, you know, like I talk shit about the hinge releases. It's, uh, you know, that first strap on wrist release, I got it and I was like, this is garbage. I'm not using it. <laughs> and then, you know, a couple weeks later, you're like, holy shit, I'm a lot more consistent. And then, so now instead of a D loop, you had your brass knock and then a little rubber <laughs> tab underneath it and your arrow pinched in between those so you had all kinds of arrow pinch knock knock travel was a motherfucker oh, so yeah. scott mongoose <laughs> yeah. with this little rubber what what it was is when you got him you'd, you'd pull your string off take a paper clip basically then push that thing on and onto your string and and that's what you had and then did you see how i had my bow set up yesterday mm-hmm. so i don't do a d loop all the time traditionally i tie a nail knot and then i put the d loop under it mm-hmm. and then Back in the day, that was one of the first things we did. And I got that from one of the Scots. You had the brass ring, and then yeah. you hooked the rope around it, and it had the peg coming off. Do you remember those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are all things like tuning. Back in the – like people having trouble tuning now, I don't have a lot of sympathy for because back then you had a lot of extra problems for it. There was no dropaways. Their Golden Premier was one of the major. Yeah, one brands. of the first two. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you shot for a while? Yeah, for a while. And it was just a two-prong with a spring, and it would 
that was your that was your tension. Mm-hmm. And uh, then a bow doodle was one that came out yep. that was pretty clean. And then somebody had an inertia where it shot and it would automatically drop sometimes. And then, yeah, that, that, <laughs> hence the sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny I, again. Like um, looking back on, you forget. Like I forget how much you didn't have technology. Well, how much we had to jack with our bows. I mean, you talk about cam lean and all this. Oh, fuck. You know, <laughs> we, we were literally cutting, you know, 2117s and putting, you know, an, an inch long. Yeah. And then putting knocks on each side and splitting our cables. Yeah. And shooting through the cables. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I never did that, but overdraws is another thing, you know, like. Oh, uh, my God. Fucking six inch overdraws. Because <laughs> brace heights then. Your overdraw was fucking six inches, let alone, uh, yeah. I mean. You could I, be a 30-inch draw length shooting a 26-inch arrow. Yeah, no <laughs> shit. It was crazy. But, I, you know, I, I, I forget a lot of that until, well, like you're here, we're talking about it. And, um, you know, I see guys talk about torque tuning, and I'm like, uh, I, you know, maybe, maybe they're, you know, it does work or, you know, whatever. But, I, you know, guys will ask me, uh, hey, what? Should I have a cable or a limb-driven drop-away? Should I have this? Or I'm like, well, whatever floats your boat, right? Like, I like a limb-driven, but I'm like, looking back, I'm like, fuck, we didn't have... When a lizard tongue came out, I was happy as a pig and shit for tournaments, but (laughs) then the wind would blow. If you could draw back without dumping your arrow off. The wind would blow and the fucker would fall off. So, yeah, it's it's amazing how technology... Trophy Taker, I think, was probably the first (laughs) drop-away I... I had in the probably the early 2001 to three time frame. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, Trophy Taker, I think was one of the first ones, but it's a, a technology has come a long way. In, incredible advancements. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, you had to learn how to judge yardage without a rangefinder. I mean, I, I look back and I have these very, you know, arrogantly uh, quoted statements that are in newspaper clips and all that stuff from back then <clears throat> where I'm literally, Telling the reporter that, you know, anything from zero to 60 yards, I might as well have a gun in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And, and, it, and it's, but you know, you were out there on your lunch hour, like you're going to work trying to survive. Yeah. And you go out in the, in the parking lot and you're picking things, you're guessing the yardage, and then you're actually walking them out to see how close you are. Yep. And it's funny because my stride is a yard. Yeah. Well, I think it's because I did what you're talking about so much um, that I've gotten to where it's almost exactly a yard because I'll be shooting and I'll forget my rangefinder in the house. I'll just pace it off. And it's within a couple feet. Oh, yeah. Well, I had 10 years of pacing shit constantly without a rangefinder. And then I'd had that, the, you know, the Pro 500 Bushnell. I just packed that around with me judging constantly everywhere I went. And, you know, we'll shoot here and there. They'll say you know, something to the effect of, you know, Aaron's a human rangefinder because I'm within a couple yards. Back then, like, well, even Levi now, and, and the, because there's known pro and unknown, um, I shot, I think it was in Arizona, and I, I think Hopkins and Bill Pellegrino and, and Omer and somebody else was in the group, and they just let me join along. And there was a 46-yard black bear, and I ended up shooting first. 23-12s um, at Super Slam Selects, you know, or maybe it was Cosmic Eclipses, but what the standard <laughs> 70 grain uh, nib points up front, or no, I, I think I had 50 grain, those hot points, the red ones. Yeah, the you hot fart, points. Oh, yeah. yeah, you fart on them, they didn't. Yeah. And I shot at the top of the 10 and was like, okay, okay, I'm good. You know, 
I was the only 10 in the group, right? Everybody shot a 12 and there one was like, oh, it's like 46 and a half or you know, whatever the fuck oh, it yeah, was. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I was just happy to fucking hit the 10. <clears throat> but that was the level that those guys, and still are at. It was amazing to me. I mean, I was, yeah. I've always been able to judge. See, and I was out, I was out by the time they started counting 12 rings and, and now I guess 14 rings too, right? Yep. Uh, we were 10 X's. That's how you split everything. Yeah. It's yeah. 10 X's, right? Like if you had a tie, how many X's did this guy have yeah. versus that guy? Well, and I think now, um, you know, keeping score, even for example, and, and, or going to a shoot with your buddies and say, don't bring a rangefinder. That's like sacrilege anymore. You, 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 you yeah. can't not bring the rangefinder. And so when I say keeping score, you know, it was very easy to keep score in your head a lot if you you know, six up, you know, whatever, you yeah. know what I mean? And I'll say that in some of the guys I shoot with now, and I'm not down talking them, but I'll be like, ah, I finished eight up. What? And I'm like, well, I had one eight and I, I, you know, had, you know, what a 10 twelves I made up or what, you know, what, or excuse me, five, tw- six twelves, whatever. Yeah. And, uh, that was just a lingo back then. How'd you finish the day? Ah, uh, I was 10 up. I had one five, you know, whatever the fuck case may be or two fives and whatever. And, uh, I, now it's so much different because I just grab a bow and I practice hunting shots. You know, I don't. Yeah. It's different. Like Putting I don't. limbs in front of you, getting down on your knees, yeah. getting off that stake and making it a little harder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and like with my wife's shot angles, I'm like, honey, do not worry about that fucking scoring ring. Like yeah. only when it's broadside, you know, because the, the difference. And I did a video on this of, of animal anatomy from, from, you know, different arteries and liver, you know, the whole nine yards. And. I, I think that people do get into trouble with that, even from the moment the arrow hits to where they aim, but also tracking. That's kind of a lost art of when to go, when not to go, what to do, you know, on different hits, how long to let it wait, you know, shit like that, which is part of just, you know, hunting a lot. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and I think it's, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, I'll get involved with in, in conversation, even public conversation is, you know, all these guys that are, you know, back in the day, you're you're told, well, you got to wait for your animal to be completely broadside. And I, I think that's, you know, so much bullshit, um, to be honest with you. I mean, spend a lot of time, get proficient with your equipment, but also get, you know, proficient with understanding the, your animal, your, you know, your target species anatomy yeah. and what works. I mean, um, you know, guys talk about Texas heart shots. Well, yeah, probably one of the most lethal uh, shots there are. Dude, I got bashed. Horribly on archery talk. I shot um, my biggest white tail to date, mm-hmm. and it was with a stick bow at eight yards. Yeah, it circled my tree stand. I got luck; thermals were going up, and uh, you know, there's no bait or anything. He came in there because I was rattling. Yeah, he was postured up, looking for me. When he got turned around, I was kind of kind of on an edge of an oxbow. He came out of the. I was in a tree in kind of a creek bottom. When he came up out of it, he was straight about parallel with me. Uh, you know, even level. Yeah, and at eight yards, if I can't hit a a baseball or a softball, I, you probably got problems, right? right? So I stuck it right down the brown eye, died in 45 yards. Oh, yeah. Holy <laughs> shit, I got bashed over that. And I'm like, okay, well, some people probably shouldn't take that shot. Well, and, and that's the thing. I, I, you know, I don't think people, you know, the people that are doing the bashing, they don't understand and they've uh, clearly they've never been there. Yeah. And, you know, um, that's where guys that do hunt a lot and, and people that are listening to podcasts like this or reading articles or or, you know, even in an audience when you're given a seminar of some sort, that's where you really got to sit back and you got to think, that's why we're doing those because we've hunted and we've been there and done it so much. Like I'm learning, <clears throat> I mean, I'm still learning, but 
everything I have learned, I've fallen on my face. Yeah. You know, it's, I didn't read any of this shit out of a textbook yeah. and then said, okay, I think I can go hunt now. It's, uh, you know, making mistakes and learning from those. Um, but again, you know, being proficient, the age old question, how far is too far? Well, yeah. that's changes for every single individual out there. And yeah. just because I'm going to stand up and shoot at 70 doesn't mean I'm right or wrong. But it you means- also know when to shoot at 70 and when not to because shoot of at an 70. animal's behavior. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Again, just because of how much you've done it. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll bring up a few other scenarios, right? I'm a big fan of in a tree stand splitting the shoulder and the neck mm-hmm. coming in. Very lethal. Um, you need to be able to be able to split that, right? Obviously. I've been blasted for, for that shot. Now, if it's crazy alert looking straight up at you because you made too much noise, eh, it might not be a shot you want to take. Eh, I've had good luck with it. it. And people are like, oh, that's not a good penetrating shot. And I'm like, have you ever cut a front shoulder off? The fucker about falls off. It is blows straight out the bottom of them, guaranteed. Yeah. Well, how do you know? I'm like, because I probably shot 50 whitetail that way. With a really good blood trail. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Because <laughs> I'm like, guys, when you look at your alternatives, and I'll break it down mathematically, percentages, what you could hit where, um, when you look at guys that take a, let's say a, a quote unquote broadside shot three yards out, that's way more dangerous to me than that on shot because you're so steep, you're probably only going to hit one lung. Yeah. Um, would you agree? With yeah, that? I would agree. And, and coming in, you know, on a quartering two from that angle, there's a lot more up and down yeah. error that you can have and still be successful. Yeah, because you got from the bottom of the heart all the way up and you're taking away a lot of goodies coming out of the brain or going up from the heart. Yeah. Um, I did a, uh, I, I explained it as explaining to your kids about sex early. You're not condoning it, but you do want to have the conversation. Well, with shot angles and placement, I went through everything, right? Um, yeah. I'm not condoning these. I'm not dismissing them or, or, and I'm not pushing them, but I would like you to know what the fuck you're aiming at when you're aiming, right? Yeah. You know, the idea. So I, f- femoral artery, another very lethal shot. Now you don't want to be winging an arrow at an animal in its ass. Yeah. But if you hit the fucking thing, you don't want to leave it overnight for the coyotes to get it, to get it either. And a lot of people with blood training, and I'll be curious to get your opinion on this, with a one lung hit animal, I do not let them lay. When I say lay, I don't leave them overnight because you're not going to find them. Yeah. Because they'll live on one lung. You, you push them. Push the blood out so yeah. they're weak. And when I say push them, run them. Yeah, like a dog. Mm-hmm. If they lose 12 to 15 ounces of blood, they are goofy as shit. And you're probably going to get another shot. You may push them into a point where they just finally give up. Would you, are you agreeing so far? I am, uh, but I, you know, I, I would jump in there and say species specific again. Yeah, white, no, you're right. White about tail that. mule deer, elk, different story, bigger animal. And if you try to run them, you can't catch them. Yeah. And I would say with elk, one of your, your better bets, depending upon the situation, if you do hit one lung, um, they will bed quickly. If you can get another shot being extremely sneaky, giving it a little bit of time, because they're not going to want to hop right back up and get out of there. If you could sneak in and get another shot, even if it was a distance, you're not comfortable with getting another arrow in them is better than i mean we've hit elk with one lung and they've been breeding a couple of weeks later oh yeah like, yeah they'll they'll live so, but yeah you're right you're not going to catch an elk with one lung and you know i'm a i'm a huge component of that too i mean there's a reason why i carry five arrows in a quiver yeah <laughs> and i will fire every single one of them if i if i know that my first shot is good and i've 
put a hole in that animal and he's leaking. Yeah. If, as long as I could see him, I'm sending another and another and another until I walk back to the truck with an empty quiver, if yeah. that's what it takes. Um, and yeah, some of those shots, <clears throat> see, that's where, you know, that whole conversation is about uh, how far is too far and what's ethical and what isn't. Um, if you have an animal out there at 80 yards and you're not 100% confident on sending that arrow, uh, if it's your second arrow, I think it's the ethical thing to do is send it. Send it. Yep. Send it. 100% send it. And I'll give an example, that, that big owl dad I shot like a month ago. Um, I will go through the entire story, but we were stalking them below us. Rams cracked horns and uh, you made a, a breeding noise. It was in the rut. Two of the older big bastards came out of the cliff, just like any other animal. They don't come to play until it's time to have sex, right? They drop down. I had to pivot around and at 16 yards, I took a frontal. He was quartering to me at the angle I like on a frontal uh, because I was able to sneak it in on the one side and exit it on the other. Mm -hmm. They're so brillowy up front. They got that, those, that, all that long hair. It zipped through it so fast. I'm like, I fucking miss. I was like, <laughs> so I anchored it. It kept, it started walking and I could see blood coming out of it. But then I'm like, Jesus, is it coming out of its right shoulder? I, but it was just, it was pouring out of it. So in the course of like seven seconds, it had two arrows on its shoulder and one in its neck. Um, Cause I, they're tough. I don't know if you hunted them. They're the toughest and they like to live. Yeah. I've, and, I've, I've been fortunate enough. I've done probably six of them now, I guess. They're tough animals. Yeah, very um, tough. So it, I was like, knowing from guiding so many of them, you know what? One's good, two's better. Like, I'm not going to let this fucker get away because if I would have just nicked the shoulder, and they're tough enough, if there's a, a you in heat, they'll shake that shit off and go right down. I mean, I don't know you've seen them fight. They're pretty I have. I haven't actually seen them fight. <clears throat> I was going to ask you, when... When is the rut on those audits? It's twice. So there's one early, so no, uh, like October, November timeframe. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one, I guess, late January, February timeframe. Okay. Um, roughly. And uh, when, when they fight, they're ignorant. You can walk right up to them. I mean, we, we had one client, they were bust, busting heads. She missed three times. They never stopped fighting. Really? Ever. I mean, we're, I, at that point, I'm like, it's ethical not to keep fucking shooting, right? You. You missed three times broadside. We're, we're going to reassess here and get closer, you know? So, but I, I put two in its shoulder and one in its neck purposefully. Yeah. I didn't want it to get away. And guys were like, well, if you took a front, well, like, I think I hit it good, but I wasn't sure. So what's a couple extra arrows, especially, you know, we grind up everything. They do not taste very good. Yeah. Uh, they're tough. I shouldn't say so. Uh, and I, and honestly, my dogs, you know, my dogs love them. I have great Pyrenees. So. Yeah. I was telling guys, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a quiver empty. And I mean, we have a podcast where I'm a member. I, I'm a help out. It's called the empty quiver section by Aaron Snyder <laughs> because of that reason. Cause I'm like, look guys, I have seen animals hit the ground from a spine shot in 15 seconds, get back up and, and run gone. off. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, so why not? One's good. Two's better. Put another one in it. And that, well, you're wasting meat. And I'm like, not if you hit it in the lungs. You no, know what I mean? <laughs> that, this whole, you know, and, and again, I think in today's- You're really wasting meat if the fucker runs away. <laughs> in, in today's society, you know, that's the thing. Like so many guys are jumping on the bandwagon about these, I don't know if you call them new wave ideas, but this, oh, you're wasting meat. Like I, I'll get roasted. So I have a routine. Every animal I've ever killed in my life, I pull the heart out 
and I have a little ceremony. I bless the four corners of the earth, four directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I bury it back in the ground and I give back to mother nature. Yeah. And you know, the theory behind that, it's kind of a full circle thing. And, uh, you know, maybe an animal will come by and have a free meal on that heart. Well, I get roasted all the time on that because you're wasting good meat. I'm like, you know what? Get off your high horse. Yeah. You know, um, this is, this is something that I do that I grew up doing, you know? Um, and it's, it's for me. And I was just going to say, one, you're not legally required to, to take it. Um, you know, the heart, right? You, you, you're not in any place I know of. You need to take it too. Just because I, I do eat the heart. Well, on a backpack hunt, that fucker ain't coming back out with me generally, especially if it's seven miles in. Yeah. But if it's close to the road or, you know, whatever, I, I'll take it. Why would it bother me that you bury it? I mean, that's, again, just because well, I, I eat the fucker doesn't mean that you're wrong by what you do. Yeah. And I don't always take it. So I would be um, hypocritical by, by yelling at yeah. you because I don't always take it with me. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the thing, you know, and that's what I think that's the point I'm trying to make is, you know, there's so many of these things uh, that people are jumping on the back. Like, you know, we're talking about we feel the need to post up pictures of us eating the meat. Uh, I don't get that. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm old school. Uh, you know, we talk about, you know, they don't want you to use the word kill. We're going to use the word harvest. Total bullshit. Yeah, that's hard for me to wrap my head Total around. Total bullshit. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're catchphrases like we're filling freezers. Give your fucking head a shake. <laughs> Why are we even talking about this? Of course we're filling freezers. Of course we're feeding our families. These are all common sense things. Yeah. But we feel like we have to speak about them out loud in public to let everybody know that we're, that we're doing something right. When I, like, I don't know, growing up, I mean, we never talked about filling freezers you just put the fucking meat in the freezer yeah and i think (laughs) it's it's an age thing for sure because i've tried to wrap my head around it too and certain things i can understand like i do appreciate somebody like joe rogan that is is a broad spectrum to people who don't hunt that they get to see okay he's eating it i can wrap my head around that a lot better than i can you know now i have said um i'm going on a doe patrol freezer filler mission you know basically because i'm gonna whack a bunch of does yeah I don't say it every time because it's implied, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Like, I don't need to say it because I never waste meat. Why, why do I, why well, do I have to say it? That's exactly it. it. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and when I say that, meaning it, it is a context to let people know, like, oh, I'm going on a coal hunt. I'm going on a doe hunt. It's, it's a, it, because people understand it. Like, yep, I'm just going to go whack a bunch of does because I want to eat them. Yeah. But, like, some of the things that, 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 I, I, I again, it's implied like, okay, where's the animal? Where's, where's all the meat when I have a rack in my pack? I'm like, well, I'm packing out the back straps in the rack that nobody, it's, it's not a appealing fucking photo to have a bunch of game bags in my pack. It's just a full pack. Yeah. The horns get the point across. Yeah. And we're not, it's, that's the thing. We're not hanging the meat on the outside of the pack. The meat's going on the inside of the pack. Yeah. Yeah. And, and know? I do get frustrated at that because it's like, well, I'm telling a story, you know, I'm a photographer. I'm telling a story. I've got a photo of all the game bags laying on the ground or, or I let the meat cool and I've got a photo of all the, I don't talk about it, but it's, it's, uh, cause when I break animals down, especially if I'm doing like a tutorial, if it's not too hot, I let the meat sit for 30 minutes to let it cool off where I stuff it in the game bag. Um, well then in the next photo, it's just the rack. Well, what'd you do with all the meat? I'm like, 
Yeah, I left it. I took all that fucking time to lay it out on rocks to leave it. Yeah. What the? I, those Just things, for the photo. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, come on. And again, people that know me, I go through 500 pounds a, a minimum personally. That's all I eat is wild. I mean, we don't, I'm lucky enough I get to hunt a lot. We don't, we don't buy beef. And if you want to, I don't give a shit. But I'm just saying we eat every night, whether it's bratwurst or burger or steak, probably once every four months. Well, when I cook, generally I'll take a photo because my wife cooks and it's more of a joke. Like, I finally cooked tonight and it wasn't horrible. And I made a, at hunting camp the other day, I did like a day in the life at camp. What I did was, okay, first thing in the morning, I started the coffee and I took a picture of the coffee machine and then I made everybody lunches and I took pictures of the lunches and then I pulled all the meat out for dinner that night. That's our dinner of how camp life works. You've been around the game enough. Like You got to fucking feed yourself somehow. So this is what we do. So I pulled out, I made meatloaf that night yeah. and then I had photos of the entire day. At no time did I really feel the need to express that um, we're doing this to put an animal on the ground, to put the horns on the wall and the cape and the meat in the freezer. All that's implied to me because that's how I was it's raised. It's just a given, yeah. It's yeah but a, I think that's where we got to wrap our head around it is shit is changing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. You know, shit is changing, you know. Uh, and I can see, you know, you mentioned Rogan, you know, like, yeah, I can definitely see from his point because his fan base and viewership is so immense that there's a lot of people that don't hunt, you know, and, and don't partake in the outdoor sports. If you want to call them a sport, um, you know, for me, I'm never going to, I'm never going to be Joe Rogan popular. Uh, just because you have a TV show doesn't make you a hero. I can promise you that. Um, you know, for, for our viewership, um, they enjoy, you know, seeing the entire story like you're talking about. Um, because the, you know, the kill shot and, yeah, everybody still wants to see that. It's a, it's the pinnacle of of a twenty three minute television program. Yeah. Um, but you know, spending a lot of time and going through the journey of that and actually documenting it to a point that keeps it interesting, um, you know, takes you from your couch. Yeah. You know, you talk about audad hunting. You know, we're from Canada. Uh, you know, I have uh had a lot of opportunity to to hunt the audad, uh, but so many of my friends never have. Yeah. And Taking them on that experience, you know, it gives them an idea of what they're in store for if they ever do get to book a hunt um, and come down and do it. The poor man's sheep hunt. Yeah, you know, <laughs> absolutely. Well, it's, and it's a phenom that's a phenomenal hunt, especially yeah. for us because we get to come and do it in January and February when it's minus friggin' 40 up there. Yeah. Well, there was a recent podcast um, a guy did basically bashing, you might be on the list actually, um, guys like me and you that are doing it for the glory. and. To say I got fucking pissed was an understatement because I feel someone like me or you is doing it for the right reasons. And one of the ways I had kind of tried to convey that was I did this long before cell phones, computers, and social media. And when that's gone, I'll still be doing it. Nothing will change. Yeah. The only thing that might change is I probably won't pack as much fucking camera gear because I try to convey the story to promote hunting in a positive light like you do on the videos, mm -hmm. meaning from... Packing our packs at the trailhead to sucking balls, sweating our balls off on the way in to setting up camp to the storm that comes in to killing the animal, to breaking it down, to getting the fucker back out. I don't do a good job of the cooking portion because I always feel it's implied. I, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not talking down to anybody that does it. I just, 
it was always implied that I ate the fucker, you know, and so I didn't think I needed to post photos of it on. A, occasionally, I, I'll I'll video me throwing some shit on a trigger grill, saying, trying out. Uh, what's a good example? Well, our dad does not taste great. So yeah. I was like, well, if you mix it with breakfast sausage and elk burger, or I do the bacon, um, cheddar, cheddar bacon burger and mix it with our dad to convey that, okay, we do eat these fuckers sometimes, but I really fall short on it. Cause I'm kind of like you. I just, it was yeah. always implied. You know, I learned and, and still learning, uh, doing this TV show, uh, the things that I take for granted, you know, when, when it comes to knowledge-based stuff that I can actually doll vote and give to a, a listening audience. I take it for granted. Uh, and I learned, it's funny because the other day, I say the other day, probably six months ago, I seen a, a social media post from Melissa Bachman and it was like archery tips or tech tips for archery hunting. And it was a five minute spiel about her waxing the string. Yeah. Which is waxing yeah. <laughs> the string <laughs> yeah and i thought to myself you've got to be out of your fu- off your fucking marbles yeah like who in their right mind would be interested in this video and i mean granted yeah she's a looker and uh everything else but waxing your string this is crazy craziness well i made a point to jump back onto that same post like the next day and there was hundreds if not thousands of comments thanking yeah. her for the knowledge. So let me, let me rewind that because we're in the same age demographic. We didn't have an easy button. There wasn't one. There wasn't social media. There wasn't, you had to learn it. And when you learn it by doing it and trial and error and failing, you eventually, I, I feel, I take it for granted. I'm much better at it now doing what I do, but talk about waxing the string um, or tying a peep in. I don't, multiple things that you and I take for granted. It would uh, never be something that would just pop in my head to go, you know what? People need to know about this. We it's- have to have meetings about it here because I forget. Um, because something that is, I'll give you an example, tying your boots. Did you know it's unethical to skip a lace? Like I had people calling me like I'm getting a lot of pressure points here. And I'm like, well, skip that fucking loop. Um... I guess I need to do a video on that. Like I never would have in a million years. Uh, yeah, this uh, that's the stuff I'm talking about. Cuz like I you know people get Yeah. So I just skip that loop on certain boots to give me that pinch point. I guess people didn't fa- I guess you have to hit every loop. And I'm thinking, well fuck me. I I, I okay, I, I guess we need to do a video on that cuz people don't realize that another one is you don't have a locking lace. Well, I always just twisted them up more right there and made my own locking lace. Another thing I have taken for granted because yeah. I just figured people figured it out. Well, I figured it out by fuck my feet hurt. How can I make this change? So that, <laughs> but again, and I'm not, I'm not downplaying anybody listening in saying you're, you're dumb, but I am saying I've tried to make it a point, especially in the last year or so to, okay. When guys ask me a question, I'm like, if it's about camera gear, I'm like, did you read the manual? No. Well, then why the, why the fuck am I have to tell you? Like, once you read the manual, that part, and you, it's like maybe a specific setting for a certain lighting um, situation. Well, you probably would have learned that anyway by learning to read the manual and playing with your camera. And so, and that's what I like judging yardage or navigation. Like, those are things that people take for granted because everything is, is so easy nowadays. And if you simplify it, I mean, F7 and be there. That's how you yeah. get a good shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
for a, for and a, I know nothing about cameras, but I had a cameraman tell me that one time, and I'm like, just break it down super simple. He's like, turn it to F7 mm-hmm. and be in the right place for the right shot. Yeah, I'm like, and okay. I I kind of same thing. I always say for a trophy photo, five six to seven, you're good to go because especially those guys that lean the fucker way out and then they're blurry and the deer's clear, then you know they're cheating the system. But five six to seven has enough depth of field for the shooter any animal to be in focus yeah. for a good shot. A lot of things, like you said, people overcomplicate. I, uh, tuning. I don't know how many tuning videos I've done on archery. I just did another one yesterday. I always try to break it down. You, you know, you add point weight or take it away, you stiffen or weaken the spine. You add air length or taking that away, you stiffen or weaken the spine. You know, and then yoke tune, whatever. And then guys will say, I'm going to put a wrap on. Um, how much is that going to change my tune? Because it, you know stiffens the spine and i'm like how good archer are you what do you mean and i'm like well how good a shot are you zero zero one versus zero zero three yeah i'm like a hundred percent like (laughs) i can shoot and i buy zero zero threes because i can't generally shoot the difference i mean and today's technology is much different than what you and i had back in the day but i'm like if you can't hit a paper plate at 40 yards you are worrying about things you you have put the cart in front of the horse um learn to shoot, uh, learn to tune, learn, you know what I mean? Like you need to learn all these things. Cause if you're asking me if a wrap, how much stiffness does it add? You have skipped a lot of steps, uh, along the way. And you need, I, I don't know if you agree with these things or not, but well, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking if, if there's a guy that's asking, you know, how much is a wrap going to stiffen up that arrow, mm-hmm. then you think that then you're asking me and you obviously have this impression that I know a lot more than I do because <laughs> we're talking about a five, a f- you know, five, five grains. Yeah. Five to 12, depending upon you if know? you put a big old dolly, you know, a, a, a 12 inch. I, know, I cut my wraps to four inches yep. and, uh, you know, just to keep the weight down because I don't have a long draw length and, yeah. you know, I want to maintain my sweet spot. I think everybody's sweet, so sweet spot, but I can speak for myself on this is 280 feet a second. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's cause you and I are old cause I'm in the same boat. Yeah. With a fixed blade broadhead. I mean, I, you know, I, I use this analogy all the time. If your wife says, Aaron, go get milk and you jump in your truck from your house and you drive down the road uh, to the store, you get milk and come back. How many times have you done that and crashed your vehicle? None. None. Now she hands you the keys to a Ferrari. Yeah. And says, Aaron, go get me milk. Yeah. What what are you going to do with that thing? (laughs) I'm going to see how fast it goes. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you're not used to it, and nor, nor can you control that type of speed. Yes, you have it, but are you competent enough to control that speed? Yeah. Odds are no, and that's when you crash going to get milk. It's no different with a bow. Everybody gets wound up, and I mean, yeah, it's a huge selling feature um, because everybody wants a flat shooting bow. But here's the difference. The flat shooting bow, you know, really came into effect 20 years ago mm-hmm. when we were judging yardage without a range find. Yeah. We wanted tighter, tighter pin gaps. Yeah. Nowadays, I would never take a shot at an animal unless it was, you know, a slam dunk yeah. or, or a rush scenario, um, but not past 40 yards. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. You know? Um, so, and then you put, you know, I'm a huge fan of fixed blade broadheads mm-hmm. uh, because I think just, you know, consistency. Uh, durability. Durability. Uh, you know less pressure, less things to, to go wrong. To go wrong. Um, 
and they'll fly really good at 280 285 feet a second you get them so, going so faster than that and then you're then you start to get into issues i'll break that down a little bit more because you and i have the exact same 265 to 280 is my wheelhouse 280 is where i want to be yeah um it's 265 i'm not going to cry um but two at 280 and that's what i tournaments and everything tuning noise generally your bow's shooting 265 to 280 your bow's not loud um yep. Three plus, your bow's probably loud. And if it's not loud, it's not as quiet as it could be. Tuning. Okay, it's hard enough for people to tune already. So when I uh, tuned this bow the other day, it was 284 feet per second is what it ended up being. 480-something grains. Um, I like that 475 to 550. At what, 70 pounds? So I shoot heavier poundage. So I was at 74 pounds. And this is where people actually falls on deaf ears. I'll say I shoot a 550-grain arrow, but they forget the fact I'm shooting an 85-pound bow. Yeah. It's the speed is what I'm looking at. Yeah. So I'm not shooting 85 pounds to shoot 300 feet per second. I'm shooting 80. And I, I to, don't. To get a 500 and some grain arrow. Yeah. For, yeah. for, you know, for that setup because, and I can shoot heavier weight. Fine. I always have. But when I tuned it, this was what I broke down. I'll tell you, I tuned it and see if you did any different. I knew I tuned a 300 spine arrow at 29 inches of draw um, and uh, 72 to 74 pounds, somewhere in there. And I cut it ahead of time because I didn't have a point weight or component weight predetermined. I just knew that around 175 up front, 50 grain insert, 125 grain head, that around 27 to 28 inches that arrow would fly. Cut them to 27 and a half, this is the short version, through 50 grain brass insert, the old 246s. I, I don't mind those arrows. I mean, I know that's yeah. blasphemy nowadays, but I don't mind shooting a 246 which at the time when you and I shot was actually a skinny arrow. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> I threw a 125 grain point. I tore about half inch knock left. So two things I can do. I can put a 100 grain point or a couple of things I can do. You can, that's the other thing, people. You can take a pound, you can take a crank off the bow. You're not going to go to hell if you, if you drop yeah. the weight. So I took a half crank off and I put twists in the left yoke. Okay, well now I'm tearing a little right. So I put the half crank back on. Bear shaft out to 40, no problem. Bear shaft out to 40 means fixed blade broadhead out to 40, no problem. Generally also means out to 80, no problem. Yeah. After 80, wind drag starts to become a problem with fixed blades. Some people can do it, but I always tell people, you, without a doubt, should be able to tune a fixed blade broadhead to 60 to 80 yards. After that wind drag, they'll start to hit lower. Would you agree with uh Yes, definitely. I mean, once you hit that 80, even, even 70 and out, uh, you start to get a lot more drop, yep. but again, you know, there's ways to compensate for that on your, on your roll charts, yep. um, all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, nowadays, you know, I'm a fixed pin guy, Yep. but I still have a scroll on it. Yep, I'm the same. You know, um, so you can scroll out and sometimes, you know, you go from that tape, you know, you chronograph your pull at 280 feet a second and uh, the tape you're using is a 285. Yeah. You know? Um, but again, it's verifying that, spending the time on the range, going out there and verifying that well, with your broadheads. Let's talk about that. Back in the day, you and I had to sight in. There were no sight tape program. And so I'm different now. I sight my bow in and just match a sight tape to me sighting it in. I'm very anal about sighting my bow in. And when I say that, I do a horizontal and a vertical line um, because it's easier for me uh, to not concentrate on my left and right as much as it is my, my, my height, my up and down. 
So it's close left and right, but I sight in my tape first for distance. So when I say that meaning, I make my marks with a, with a pencil on my dial. So I do my pins first, mm-hmm. and then when I have my rover, I just shoot that horizontal line out to 100 or whatever it is. And then I, 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 I start the left and right, which you know generally is just obviously moving my gang adjustment. That's blasphemy to a lot of people nowadays. No, <laughs> this, that's exactly what I do. So again, your horizontal and vertical lines, and I think it's important to let listeners know, those are solo. We don't put them together. We don't put a crosshair. Yep. You know, and I'll do my horizontal line all the way out. And so I shoot like a, I like to shoot a four pin, right? So mm-hmm. I'm out to 20, 30, 40, 50 yards. And 50 yards is my last pin. Yep. I'll spend an incredible amount of time on that 50 yard pin. Because that's the pin that's going to get me 60 all the way out to 100. Yeah. Okay? So, but once I hit that 50-yard mark, then I'll, I'll sit there. I actually go to about, you know, uh, 35 yards. Mm-hmm. And then I'll put all those pins, I'll switch it to a horizontal line or a vertical line. And I'll put all those pins on that line. And I'll shoot until I'm on, you know, a half-inch piece. I use hockey tape. Yeah, shin, yeah, shin pad tape. Same thing. Yep. So, <clears throat> and... As long as I got all my pins on those lines and my bubble is good, I yeah. touch it off. And as long as I'm in that tape, then I'm good. And it's surprising at 45 yards, if you can do that, it will be super, super close. You'll have to do a micro tune at 100, and that's about it. Yep. I, um, you can tell we're the same, came up the same way. You'd laugh if you come to my house because I have those big five foot squared targets. Yep. And, and there's basically the hockey tape width line vertically and horizontally because <laughs> yeah. that's, and it also takes part of your brain out of the equation. You don't have much why, to worry about. Why use a hundred percent of your brain capacity yeah. when you can drop that down to 50 and be rela- more relaxed when you touch it off. Yep. And, and you know, for, for me, um, I got a bunch of targets at the house. I don't have an indoor range. I, I got like eight yards I can shoot, um, but I got 30 some 3d targets and a bunch of matrix and blocks. And so the, the pin gapping is another one. And this people, it, probably a lost art of, of pin gapping. Cause like you, I came up shooting, you know, bow hunter freestyle, um, or pins. Mm-hmm. Um, people are like, they don't understand there's a dope chart or a drop chart. Well, if you, and it's very simple. If you have that horizontal line and you are at 46, it's real easy to tell where to put your pin. If you put your 40 yard pin, uh, at 46 and you, Oh, it dropped for three and a half inches. Well, fuck me. That's where you aim now. I get, people don't, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no. So what, it's, it's split pin yeah. and then give it a sea hair yeah. and touch it off. <laughs> or, or, or when an animal comes in, and I've explained this to my wife shooting pins, I don't use one pin or two pins. I use one. Now it's technically still pin gapping. So if uh, an animal comes in at 46, I put my 50 on its heart and let it go. If that, this makes sense. So I've got one pin to worry about. And I'm not dissecting two pins. Now I'm cognizant of my 40, but I mean, when an animal comes in at 52, okay, well, where do you put your 50 right on it? Well, you're going to be a little lower because it's at 52. So a sea hair high on the lungs and let her go, depending upon your speed. But if you're familiar with 280, you've known that your whole life. Yeah. So, and another thing is the speed of sound. You're not beating that. Um, And so vein configuration, broadhead configuration, and your bow being quiet. That's another thing I will go down range with newer veins and I'll have somebody stand and I'll shoot a few different vein configurations and 
the one where they're like, holy fuck, that's loud. Well, that one's out of the, you know, that's. Yeah. So I'm a fan of four fletch lower profile, little bit shorter veins. I, I not, not like two inches, but and like. And you find they're steering the fixed blade broadheads a little better on the four? I do. I do. Yeah. Um, now, that's not to say there's not a three, but I don't want some cock walloper fucking high profile vein to catch wind. So I have, I have found it better for wind drift and everything else to have four lower profile i don't shoot helical i shoot offset uh, on a compound on a stick well obviously i shoot helical um yeah. that that will steer a fixed blade a big one i mean i'll shoot wide three blade cutthroats iron wheel wides yeah out to 80 without a problem i mean when i do have to bump that pin down uh or that sight tape down a little bit for wind drag at farther distances yeah. it, but that's just i mean that's that wind drag you're not gonna see be i that. i uh i went with the iron wheels uh and uh with with permission from from our partner at G five, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, to go on my stick bow because I started I started using a stick bow about three years ago. Yeah, uh, primarily to bear hunt, you know, and it it's super exciting I find, and uh, so I went, you know, I kept on hearing all this stuff and and seeing some stuff from you actually yeah. about these iron wheel wides and, anyways, I went, I got me you know half a dozen and they come in that little pelican case. Yeah, and uh, I damn near had to give a body part to get them across the border i think by the time they landed i was into it for like 600 bucks or oh something. good lord no kidding yeah, i mean it, cr crazy expensive but i'm telling you what the uh the penetration uh that we were getting out of those broadheads you know and i was using that uh carbon trad arrow from victory mm -hmm. you know and i mean just unbelievable yeah 45 pound bull and uh blowing through those bears well it's it's again and again, for anybody listening, we're not bashing a younger generation. We're just talking about, you know, le learning these things. And it, you said it earlier when I tell people, like, I didn't pop out of the womb knowing this. I fucked up a lot. Oh, yeah. That's how I learned it. it and I'm still doing that, you know, on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're always learning. The thing is that I tell people is rather than going home and crying about shit went wrong, dissect what went wrong and fix it, yeah. right? Like, you know, go back well, to the drawing board. And today's day and age, and, and not to take anything away from a lot of a great companies that are making a lot of great products, but, you know, you got to have, you have to dissect for yourself uh, marketing versus, you know, quality products. It's yeah. like, you know, scent control. I mean, I could talk for an hour about scent control, uh, but at the end of the day, it's, I revert right back to the way I did it when I was a kid. Uh, and your dad told you to make sure the wind's in your face. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, can I justify telling, uh, my buddies to go out and buy a $700, you know, brand X scent control suit or coat? Uh, no, I can't. Uh, but I can tell you, you know, will I spend 10 bucks on a bottle of the, of the juice and spray yeah. it on my clothes. <laughs> yeah. You know, does it work? I have no idea, but it makes me feel better about I, myself. So I, I believe we've said that. I also like the autumn smell that smells like leaves just cause it reminds me of hunting. I don't fucking think it helps, but I, I like the smell of it. So, well, <laughs> and I, th you know, it's, it's funny cause all that ties back into our previous conversation about accuracy, uh, and, and precision is I think a lot of it is a mental, uh, a mental state where, are you comfortable with it? So, you know, one of the, the biggest questions I, you get asked all the time, hey, uh, what bow should I buy? Well, if, they're, if you're already asking me that, you know what brand I shoot. Yeah. Uh, you might not know the why. You might assume that it's for money, mm -hmm. uh, and that's the furthest thing from the truth. Um, but my answer 
you know, you're expecting me to tell you prime, go buy a prime bull. Right. Why? Cause I, cause I shoot a prime bull and look at me. Well, that's horse shit. Yeah. Um, 20, 25 years ago, you could buy a shitty bull today. You can't. Yeah. Um, so if you walk into the store and you know, you see a bow that has a purple grip or, or red cams and, and that's your favorite color and you look at it and you go, that thing is badass. Then pick it up and shoot it. Yeah. Because if you believe it's badass, that's a first step towards so solid accuracy. We've made it, this analogy to curb appeal. Like you don't wear, marry a woman for her heart. If you're a tit guy, she probably has big boobs. <laughs> right? You find out about her heart you later. Shallow yeah. son of a bitch. No, well, and I, I mean, it's. I, I mean, you, you don't know. That's how, the truth of it, though. But yeah. nobody talks like that anymore, right? Like, I, go ahead, well, your probably, girlfriend, your wife, anybody you've ever met. The first when you saw her from across the room, you weren't thinking. I bet she what? has a kind heart. Yeah, she, <laughs> she's probably got a beautiful mind. She's probably smart and kind. No, that's bullshit. You're lying. <laughs> so. Um, everything you just said, I agree with. And I did a bow review last year. It was pretty fucking anticlimactic because I basically came down to go with what your pro shop has because it'll be easier to work with because they're all good. There's going to be certain draw cycles that may be smoother to one person than the other, things like that. So uh, last night, I, what time did I text you the prime guys? I couldn't remember. I didn't have, I didn't have his number. So I went to the store yesterday. I've got a Darton, um, kind of an unknown name anymore. And uh, for the money, I was like, ah, it's not too bad. That I mean, used to be the fat. Darton and High Country were the speed bows 20 we'll, years ago. We'll go back into aging ourselves. <laughs> back in the day, Burley Hall, Randy Omer was shooting a Browning. Uh, what's his name? Was shooting a Darton. Burley Hall was <laughs> the number one in the world. And you, this is. This that's is, Frank. Have you ever heard of Burley Hall? Mm, Fucking this, legend so back this, in the day. This guy. <laughs> I got a peek. You go ahead. Yeah, talk this, about Burley this Hall. This guy, you know, we, you talked about, you know, Back in the day when I was shooting pro archery, this guy was number one in the world. Mm -hmm. And I remember him going on and doing uh, like a, probably a, a TV thing. Uh, and I watched it and he was, he came right out and he was like, you know, uh, I make about 40 grand a year doing this. Number one in the world. You know? Um, and I was just thinking to myself, oh my God, oh God how's anyone going to survive at 40 grand a year? And this, and to be number one, that dedication that we talked about you know, immense training, your whole life is consumed, um, with archery in order to, in order to be that good. And if you don't, it, as soon as you turn it off, like you can't turn it off for a day because then somebody beats you. You're number one every time you get out there. And Burley Hall was the guy, but I mean, he was making shit money. High country machine supreme, right? Yeah, that was he, the boat of half. It was, <laughs> he was making shit money. And I just thought, like, how is this possible for the, for the top archer in the entire world to make, I mean, it, you know, shooting a bow and, and uh, getting, you can't eat arrows and, and free broadheads, I can promise you that, <laughs> um, and survive. So it's like, how, it just, it blew my mind. And it, and it kind of, you know, it, it wasn't one of the deciding factors for me to get out of competitive archery, but it was a definitely a shocker because i just assumed this you know this dude's number one in the world he's fat cash rolling <laughs> in it you know and it was just not the case but anyway i had to go pee so i missed a little bit of that but like uh but darton and and um high country were the boat boat to have at one time and darton was the fastest um browning had a, a boat mirage for, yeah mirage yeah. the ballistic mirage i think and omer shot for browning for a while and uh 
you know, but you, you fast forward again, there's no bad bows on the market. So I, I shot that uh, Prime yesterday. They changed, thank God. I wasn't a fan of the 13-string system, so they, they changed it up. But drew it back. It drew super smooth, and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to get a hold of um, Brian, and I'm going to order one because yeah. I, I, I liked it. And, so, and they make an 80. Um, and so I don't know if I'm going to shoot 80 now, but I'll probably shoot 75, 76. So, you know, I called him. I'm like, hey, man, can, can you guys, you know, get me one of these? I, that, that bow is pretty damn smooth. I was surprised. They're 35, which I like a longer bow, was the fastest, but it had the shortest, uh, shortest brace height. So while we're dating ourselves, mm-hmm. brace height at one time was really fucking important. But then string stoppers came out, and that kind of changed the game a bit, and then passed parallel limbs. So if you came to a shoot with a six-inch brace height back in the day, my crew, you were an idiot um, because you weren't shooting. You probably weren't. You were worried about speed and not forgiveness and accuracy, would you? Correct, yep. Okay, so now, fuck, a six-inch brace height's normal. Oh, 100% normal. Back then, dude, there was six-inch brace height was unfucking heard of. Now, I will say the riser was 90 inches long, or the limbs were 90 <laughs> inches long, and the riser was short. Then the past parallel, I don't know how many limbs I saw blown up when past parallel limbs came out because the bow presses snapped the fucking risers in half. Everybody had an Apple A1 press. That fucker will snap a past parallel limb riser in half. Oh, yeah. In a, in, in a real hurry, too. <laughs> well, I snapped a couple. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's amazing, like, the technology uh, and, and what we have now. Now, I will say I had a... Um, Oh, I had a Hoyt Striker II was one of my more favorite bows. Matthews at that time, uh, there was a Conquest that was like early 2000 time frame. Um, some of those bows is where that Striker II was by far my favorite bow. I don't know. I can't remember what it shot like, but I'm sure it wasn't as good as the ones how they shot now. There was a Hoyt Aspen that was amazing indoor bow. Do you remember any of these? I do, yeah. yeah. Um, but. You know, I was shoot. I I shot a lot of the Golden Eagle stuff. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that um, was a big name back in the day. It was day. huge. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, a testament to the equipment, whether it was from back then or today. Um, it's all in what you do with it. Yeah. You know, like uh, I feel like that. You know, fat <laughs> fat dad wearing his old high school leather jacket every time I talk about <laughs> 1999 when I won a championship, but it was uh. I, would, I did that with a Forge uh, Bow Company bow yeah, out of New yeah. Berlin, Wisconsin. Yeah. Nobody ever heard of them. Forge Bow Company. Um, you know, and again, you know, good bow, bad bow, didn't matter. Uh, to me, it's just, okay, let's make it work. Tune it. Well, you might have to do, you know, three things and change the oil on it to get it to shoot right. Yeah. But you did those things and you got it to shoot right. And then how many arrows do you put down range with it? And you just got comfortable with it. and then. But again, that's the marketing side, right? People see you uh, shooting really well with it, and they go, I want to shoot that well, so I want to buy that bull. Yeah. Okay, well, have at her. You know, fill your boots. One thing I will say, though, while you're on about the the Prime, and and we're not, I think you got an Expedition. I think I got a fucking Matthews coming and a Darton I was shooting yesterday. So we shoot them all. But the one thing I will say about the the Prime is the the cost is substantially less than a lot of the other options. So. Well, What's, you know, they're what doing the fuck is the new Hoyt now? <clears throat> I think the Hoyt's the <laughs> yeah. Hoyt and the PSE are in that 18, 19, yeah, 2000. That, that Prime's 1100 bucks. See, and I didn't even, I didn't even know that, you know, I'm spoiled, I guess. Yeah. I've been with them for a long time, but, um, you know, the biggest thing for me with Prime, uh, the older I get, 
you know, I'm still, I'm getting older. I'm, I'm you know, fatiguing maybe a little wee bit here and there, <laughs> uh, definitely in the eyes and that kind of thing. Um, but Prime, ever since day one with Prime, they made a bow that allowed me to be as good as I was five years ago. Yeah. And every time they come out with something, um, you know, they're making bows easier to shoot. Yeah. And granted, it doesn't give me a lot of opportunity to go out and, and you know, play with the Hoyts and the Matthews and everything else. And I'm sure there's a bunch of good bows out there. But, you know, for me, it's... uh it starts again, you know, our partnerships when it comes to my personal stuff and, it, and the partnerships with the TV show, it starts with the product and then it very quickly goes to the people. Uh, again, you know, you know, a lot of people look at me hosting a TV show and they think, well, yeah, you're, <clears throat> you're running the prime bows cause they pay you a bunch of money and that's, it couldn't be the furthest from the truth. I don't give a shit about the money. Um, you know, it's a passion project for me. I have a, a real job that pays the mortgage and the bills, all that kind of stuff. Um, so again, it's about quality equipment. What I believe personally gives me an advantage in the field to be successful. And then again, uh, shortly thereafter, it follows the people that stand behind that product. Because if I'm promoting it and helping you sell a, a backpack, a bow, a pair of boots, I need to know that you're going to have the backs of the clients that buy those because I don't care who you are as a manufacturer, shit will eventually go sideways, mm -hmm. you know, no uh, matter what. Now, and we're in kind of a unique perspective uh, or have a unique perspective because we, we, we use, we can use pretty much whatever we want. Um, I mean, I say that I'm a black Eagle guy, but victory is pretty amazing technology when it comes to carbon. Um, they're owned by, you know what? I'm not supposed to probably space it. They're owned by a company that is very advanced when mm -hmm. it comes to carbon arrows. So, uh, you know, so we, we somebody asks us, I'm, fuck, I don't, you don't, what, what are you shooting for an arrow now? It's an axis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we're a mixed bag mm -hmm. of tricks here. So it allows us to speak intelligently about everything. And so I would have a hard time speaking negatively about any bow because they're all it's good. A, it's <laughs> a, it brings up a good point. You know, one that I, I try to make as, as much as possible, especially with today's, you know, uh, marketing and advertisement abilities through social media and everything else is you'll get these, these people that are either pro staff or working, they go, you know, uh, these boots, best boots in the world. Okay. That should, that should be the red flag. How, yeah. <laughs> how many boots have you tried? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, and, and you really, you should shut your mouth, uh, unless you've tr tried 15 different pairs or shot all the bows and that's why I can appreciate and understand when you say at this table we you know it's a mixed bag of tricks here we get to try a bunch of stuff that's exactly what you should and that's the really the only people that should come out and say hey this is the best because you don't know it's the best unless you've tried everything and, else. and even what's the best for for Frank is not the best for me I'm mean, no. now yeah, I, will I think say, we try our best yeah. we try our best to say best for us but yeah um I've always noticed that it's a kind of a red flag when you see somebody say something's the best, you kind of dig more deep, deeply into it and yeah. you find out that they're sponsored by this company or that company. And yeah, exactly. They're kind of bullshitting you a little bit there. You know, because you, you say something, I don't mm -hmm. mind when people say, I think that's probably the best for the money. Uh, there's some validity in that. Yeah. But best is pretty, that's pretty broad. Like best is pretty hard to say, right? So uh, you can say Prime's been the best bow I've shot in a long time. Nothing wrong with that, right? That's okay. Well, 
Well, I, I got some haters on social media pages uh, that I've kicked off Kafaro Insiders because a guy asked specifically, looking at a comparison between us and this company, we're okay with that. We don't, totally fine. Well, this guy got on and, and started promoting the pack he had. So I shot him a message. I said, hey, dude, I'm going to delete your post because I can't find you in our system. And he's like, yeah, I've never owned your pack. And I'm like, well, this is a Kafaru page run by Kafaru employees that's called Kafaru Insiders. He's asking for a comparison between what you're using and us. Uh, I'm a, and so that dude now, he says horrible, I'm not going to kiss the ring. He's biased. And it's like, well, <laughs> I'm actually the one that's not biased because I have tried everything. And even to this day, I can say that Stone Glacier is a little bit lighter weight, not quite as durable. Um, you, know, pick, you know, pick whatever company. There's pros and cons to all. Um, we obviously believe for us, we Kafaru's, but we're very clear. I fucking own the company and Frank runs it. Well, obviously, well, right? We don't talk about Kafaru on this fucking pot. What do we talk about our company? What, rarely. Rarely. Because it's not about the pack. We obviously, it's implied. We believe in our product. Yeah. But when you talk about arrows, not much different than bows. Well, it's, it, There's not a bad arrow on the market. No, no different. I mean, you know, I've, I've had enough packs to say i know i can pick my favorite and that's why i sit on this team yeah you know here um 100 i mean it's the little wee things that i mean you look at your lineup that you have and i mean there's an option for everything going under the sun um you know for me you know I'll, the waist belt yeah 100 waist belt most comfortable and i mean that's the key to a heavy pack right there that waist belt yeah, you know, and I think for us is that's what sold me on it. You know, the curve days matching my non-ass and in the in the belt has been a big one. And you know, when Frank and I we get to, we're pretty lucky, like you. We get to hunt all kinds of shit and all that. You know, anything from backpacking in. To, I'm shooting whitetails over you know does over corn in Texas. I do all kinds. Ow, dad, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, uh, one man's best may not fit what might be best for you. Um, I don't answer questions on Alaska a lot because I just haven't been up there as much as other guys. I send them to people who, you know, hey, go ask Tyler Freel or Cole Kramer, whoever the fuck, you know, that's up there. Um, so you get a guy that's come out west one time that's a tree stand hunter. He'd probably ask him questions about tree stand hunting, but one trip out west is not probably a good... Um, no, that's why, again, you know, <laughs> that, that wealth of resources that I was talking about that we take for granted, yeah. you know, being so kind of long in the jaw doing it, that, you know, we do it all. That's, you know, this weekend, uh, I borrowed a crossbow to go and, you know, I'm not going to sit here on the podcast and, and tell you <laughs> what makes a good crossbow. Yeah. Fuck, I just spent a day and a half with it. <laughs> oh, shit. That, but, that's but a good the, point. The point is... I borrowed the crossbow because I'm a hunter and whether it's a shotgun, a muzzleloader, a, a stick bow, a compound bow, a slingshot, whatever gives me the next opportunity to hunt, I want to experience that, you know? And whether, that was a crossbow only season, right? It was. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. I'm like, what the hell's buy a crossbow? I mean, I, we don't have that season. Oh, well, and, right? I, and I'm down here, yeah. you know, and I could, I'm, you know, I, it, it's hard to borrow a, a compound bowl. Yeah, yeah, no shit. Uh, oh, yeah, and you, I guess, yeah, you didn't have your You know, bowl. I didn't bring one down here, yeah. so the next best thing is, is, the, is the crossbow because, yeah. you know, I call it the gunbow, and, I mean, there's probably a lot of uh, cool things about it. Uh, it was neat. Yeah. I found it super awkward to carry. You know, it's <laughs> really hard to carry. Um, 
But those suckers are shooting. I mean, I, I practiced with it. I was shooting out to 100 yards with that thing. <laughs> I mean, it's got a scope on it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty cool. And, you know, and if I would have saw a deer uh, that I thought was appropriate to kill, I would have killed it yeah. uh, for sure. Well, when you, when you get to hunt um, a lot of different in, environments and, you know, different animals and everything else, you, you kind of learn like uh, every, every place you go has its own special sauce for being a pain in the ass. So let's, the desert, everything's trying to poke you and there's snakes and spiders and shit and everything, you know what I mean? Different terrain, uh, hard to stalk, it's a little bit louder, whatever you go to BC or Washington or Oregon or don't go to Seattle or Portland, but if you go to hunt, it's fucking rainy, right? I mean, it's rainy. Deadfall, big trees, underbrush. underbrush. Yeah. yeah, underbrush sucks. I hate underbrush. Um, you know, you, you go to Colorado, you got no oxygen, right? You're climbing. Um, yeah. You got problems everywhere. Well, my best may cater towards a lighter weight um, backpack with a little bit less rain gear, things like that, because I'm sucking hind titty at 12,000 feet, right? I don't have any oxygen. Well, you take my packing list to, I don't know, BC, Western BC, like, you know, over towards the coast, yeah. you might do a little okay for a few days, but your shit's going to be wet and you're going to have probably ripped up rain gear because I have ultralight rain gear that worked for Colorado. And that's why I strongly encourage guys to get backing, you, you know, have some, well, Frank, you just said it, ha have some, make sure the guy you're getting info has some validity of what he's talking about and where he's gone. Because again, you bought a crossbow, you're not an expert on them. I, I still, I've shot a ton of whitetail, but I'm still no expert on whitetail. I, I move people on. And one of the bad sides about social media is probably, you know, would be that, you know, you do get a lot of people chiming in a lot of times because of sponsors, um, you know, with maybe some bad info, but it does, I would never have met you if it wasn't for social media. So, you know what I mean? There's, there's pros and cons with what we're talking about, um, you know, to everything. I'm kind yeah. of going off the deep end here, but. I'll be quiet. <laughs> oh, that's where the awkward silence rolls yeah. in. Like, what? I was waiting for Frank. Frank. I was waiting for Matt Ranella to chime in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no shit. He just blasted the shit out of all of us. But um, I, I Which, think so. You know what? I, I, and I heard, again, I'm not, you know, I'm more, I guess, self-absorbed on that. When it comes to social media, I do my thing, but I don't really check a lot of other places. But is this the guy, like, uh, Meat Eater's brother or something come out and just kind of slammed yeah 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 i made the list yeah, yeah. <laughs> congratulations i think you're on there too though um <clears throat> i thought i was too because somebody actually reached out to me and, and told me that i need to check it out and i actually never did but uh it'll only piss you off and yeah but that's there a good way to be though unfollow uh, you're supposed to unfollow uh hunter's pages because it was hurting the industry and y yeah i think uh you are you, you made the top 40 Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, you did good. Um, I told you right in the beginning that was a big deal. Well, see, here's what's <laughs> weird about that is um, I would say someone like yourself or, or myself, uh, along with others, I started doing this to shoot shit and eat it, right? I mean, that was what you did. That's how you were raised. I was shooting birds and shit with my BB gun and catching squirrels or whatever the fuck it was we did as kids. And there was no social media. So for a guy that's too young to remember that, to talk about it, I struggle with that because I didn't have running water till I was three, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, we split firewood because we had a fucking wood stove and you ate the shit that you shot because you were poor or that's how you were raised or you know what I mean? It was a yeah. family of it, whatever the fuck it was. So now that social media and I've partaken in that because I'm making a living, I own a backpack company. I like to spread wealth and knowledge and 
Yeah, I mean, we're going to hell, basically. I mean, we're horrible for hunting. We're people to unfollow because we're bad for hunting. Yeah, total, you know, total bullshit. I think I, this is the part that I'm super passionate about. You know, it's, it's, it's not why I hunt. It's definitely why I do the TV show mm-hmm. um, because the TV show is an elevated platform that I get to stand on to where people can actually hear you. Yeah. Um, you know, and through that with the social media channels and what we have today, again, you know, depending on how successful you are with that, you get to stand up and, and you know, preach whatever that message is that you want. And for me, it's about reminding people that wh- where we come from, where we all come from. Yep. You know, uh, the heritage behind the hunt and, you know, the future of the heritage. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and allowing my niece, I mean, we never had kids. I don't have kids, but my niece, you know, 10 years old. And if she wants to hunt, I want her to have the ability to do so. Um, and she won't be raised, you know, where she feels like she needs to stay, say harvest. Yeah. You know, like versus kill. Uh, it's just ridiculous to me. Yeah, I, I have trouble wrapping my head around that be, because um, when you harvest is, is a crop, you know, and the animal dies, so you've killed it, right? You slap a fly, it's, you've I, killed I've it. Tried, it. I've tried to figure this out. I, I mean, the best I can get my mind wrapped around is maybe you can harvest the meat from its bones, but you've already killed it Yeah. in order to do that. That's yeah. the closest I could get. Maybe we should call it Carvest. We can start a whole new language. I like that. Hashtag Carvest. Yeah. Well, I did a podcast with Blood Origins last night. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's who had Matt on originally, and Matt wrote an article, and um, he's very polite. You know, I mean, I like those guys at Blood Origins, and some of the things I, I brought up uh, on, the, on the podcast, and I'll be interested to get the perspective, was if you have the money, uh, and I'm going to leave Joe Rogan out of this, but he kind of fits into this. You've been to the Sheep Show before? Yep. Okay. If you have a high-paying job with high stress and little time off, and you have to pay an outfitter to go on a sheep hunt, um, but that person also has enough money to buy a $425,000, which you've seen what some of those tags go, yeah. permit to, to hunt Montana. Is that guy bad because you fucking can't afford that shit? And I know you can, and I certainly know I can't afford it, but he can because of the life he chose. I stress, no time off, making lots of money, but still loves to hunt. That money goes back into... Habitat, conservation, many kinds. Yeah. Um, I'd say that's good, right? Well, according to that guy, guy guy's a horrible fucking hunter and he's a level one, right? Not a, not a 10 being, <clears throat> being the guy. That's that, somebody who hasn't been there, hasn't done it, and is not open-minded enough to even understand it remotely. So that was one of the points that I brought up. The next one, we technically should be poaching in Alberta because guides are bad. Guide, can guides are bad? You're a one if you use a guide. Well, you might be a two, and then if you take a picture of it, you're a one. Well, does that mean we should poach in Alberta? Because you legally have to have a guide. You have to have a guide. <laughs> this, that's the thing. And, and so, many, uh, so many hunters out there that haven't experienced that, they don't even understand that. Yeah. You know, for, for us to go, if I want to, you know, if I want to pursue my sheep slam, mm-hmm. you know, I can hunt my bighorn in Alberta. For yeah. 54 bucks and, and gas money. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got to pay. And I go out and I do my thing. Maybe I get one, maybe I don't. But let's say I'm successful there and I want to move on to the other three. Every single one of them have to have a guide. Yeah. Law. By law. 
for, for you so you can get one. Let's say you're in BC. You can get a couple, um, potentially, especially if you shoot a, a fan in or whatever. The fuck. But you know what I mean? Colorado, we can get a, it would take a fucking miracle, but a desert and, uh, you know, and a bighorn. Yeah. You can't get them all without a guide no. anywhere and, you live. And that's the thing. So even in my province of Alberta, you know, state province kind of thing, I jump over into British Columbia, legally have to have a guide. Yep. doesn't matter. Um, you're, you're still in the same country, but you have to have a guide. I'm going on a polar bear hunt in April. Have to have a guide, NWT. Have yep. to. Yep. And that, that's where I brought up, I had posed those questions of that person is doing something because of his life choices. He can afford to do what we can't or what Matt can't. Um, but he also can afford to contribute way more to conservation than we ever could. Now, is he out there doing sheep counts? Who knows? But that money is still going to the net good. Um, and especially with sheep, because they have a hard enough fucking time yeah, on their that, own with that all man, the diseases. Instead of knocking him, he should be commended, yeah. congratulated, and, uh, you know, wish him all the best on his hunt. Yeah. But understand this, too. Like, anyone who does a sheep hunt, and I'm super passionate about sheep hunting. Um, Remy just went on a stone sheep hunt. Yeah. He come back unsuccessful. And another semi-prominent guy in the industry that I don't have a lot of respect for <laughs> spoke up on social media and said, that's a terrible outfitter for that kind of money. They should have a sheep lined out for you, which is total bullshit. Yeah. I don't care anyone who's ever sheep hunted. If you're a sheep hunter, you understand this. Uh, yeah, you have to go with the guide and outfitter. Yeah, it's super expensive. 50, 60, $70,000 hunts. Sometimes more. Yeah. But you're not paying for sheep. You're paying for an opportunity and an experience to hunt sheep. Yeah. Don't think for one second that you're paying for a sheep. Yep. Now, and, and I will say, like, um, there are reputable outfitters and there are ones that are not. But, I mean, that's up to each person to choose. But, like, you go to, um, well, I'll use Clay because he's a buddy. You go mm -hmm. in, in gym, right? You go to the NWT with those guys. Um. You can go to Alaska and, uh, and you can pay less money. You can go to the NWT, pay more, maybe use a helicopter or whatever. But I can get, tell you right now, and, and Clay knows this for a fact, I'll volunteer to go up to the NWT every year just to fucking see it. Oh, uh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's not only is it breathtaking, but I mean, so I tell people when they call up and they go, hey, I want to do a sheep hunt. Well, right now, the least expensive sheep that you can hunt is, you know, for the, for the four. Yeah, for the slam. Yeah. Is the dull. Yeah. So you're right. Um, you know, and I've killed a I've killed a dull in Alaska and I've killed a, a dull in uh in NWT. Alaska you go up and you can still do it for fourteen, fifteen grand. Yeah. Your success rate's fifty fifty. Yeah, it might be less than that now, but yeah. You go NWT, pick an outfitter, you know, Clay and those guys, phenomenal, Arctic Red, any of those guys up along that Mackenzie Mountain range. And you're Pretty much 100% success. With a gun. With a gun. Yep. You know, and I have gone up with a bow and came back empty-handed. Um, but it wasn't because we couldn't shot. You know, I could have shot a nine-year-old. Yeah. You know, a fancy ram. Um, but, you know, the outfit that I was with, they wanted 10 years plus, which mm -hmm. is pretty common yeah. for that area. And, uh, you know, we let him go and came back and showed the video and, uh, he was nice enough to say, Hey man, you know, like fancy Ram, nice looking Ram would have looked cool on the wall, but it's a nine year old. We let it go. 
And uh, he said, come back. So we came back, and I actually came back with a gun and, and, uh, and shot a beautiful 12-year-old. Wouldn't you say, to, and that to me, and I've been all over the world, the NWT and Yukon are the prettiest places on the planet? Planet. Yeah. I mean, in the entire planet. I was just up in the Yukon here in uh, August. And, uh, Northern BC is the same, same way. Yeah, yeah. we did a, did a sheep hunt up there, and I, I've never killed a fan, and so I really wanted to kill a fan and ram. And uh, shot a 13-year-old, uh, oldest ram I've ever killed. Yeah. Uh, absolute gorgeous ram, and then did the grizzly bear hunt right after. That's funny. Uh, uh, Joe was up there at uh, where I shot my mountain goat. He sent me a photo because uh, you write it on the wall or whatever, and he, he pointed it, you know, where I wrote Aaron, whatever, yeah. goat. Um, I just, you need to get up there because I, I'm not taking away anything from Alaska. But it's not the NWT. It's, no. it's just not. No. <laughs> you know, Alaska's got this, you know, allure, this romantic mystery uh, about being, you know, wild. And yeah, there's a lot of places that are wild there, but it's wild and barren. And NWT in Alaska, it's wild, but it's jam-packed, full of creeks, lakes, mountains, trees, animals. Um yeah, I mean, if I had to, if I was going to hunt in two places, you know, and I had to, you know, make 20 TV shows, I'd make all 20 in those two places every year if I could. So here, here's what's, and again, like for, you know, for me, it was, um, I was friends with Clay. I was more than willing to, to go up there and, and, and I was able to, to hang out, split firewood, film, photograph, help out wherever I could. Um, I'd fucking have trouble leaving. Like, so you can land at a lake, what, what, what we would call a basin, um, hanging lakes, whatever, hanging basins, and you'll catch lake trout the size of fucking Steve. <laughs> yeah. And never stop. They've never seen fucking man. It's insane. And, uh, or lures or anything. I mean, you could screw that Gatorade <laughs> cap on, put it on a hook, and they'd bite it. You, you go on the rivers like at the, the Keel Camp, and we, you know, we took the jet boat and catching grayling, fly fish, catching grayling, dodging yeah. fucking moose standing in the river as you're going down it that probably have never seen man. Yeah. Um, caribou, humble, I mean, where else do you see 400-inch-plus caribou and doll sheep everywhere? And, you know, to me, and I'm only bringing this up, is, if it's, it's, I think it's 28,000 to 32,000 to go up in the NWT for most, for most outfitters now, plus yeah. tip and whatever. For the sheep hunt, yeah. For the sheep, yeah. yeah. Um, if you're going to save your entire life, whether it's moose, caribou, or sheep, that would be where you'd want to go. And, and I, again, I've been all over, and I, I, it is hard to put into words. And I took some amazing photos while I was up there, but I, I've talked to Clay. I'm like, hey, dude, in the next couple of years, I'm just going to come up for a couple months again. I'll whack a sheep with you. And, photograph it because I'm a better photographer now and I, I I was so in awe when I was there I probably missed some shit I should have photographed because it was just that fucking amazing and you know the other thing too is like uh, resourcefulness I've never saved so many fucking nails in my life because <laughs> there's no nails you know you're what is it from Ross River I mean oh yeah I mean, to get clothes. anything in there right? oh Christ on a crap well and you know Funny, you pull anything apart, you, you, you don't burn it. You save all the wood. I mean, not all, but, you know, so it's pretty amazing place. And then, uh, you know, we building, like when we, you know, for you cutting trees down and building platforms for your outfitter cabins and everything else. And it was just, it was fun. And so, like, you ring trees out at the bottom so you got firewood for the next year. And you're constantly busy. Um, if, I mean, if you want to be, obviously. I mean, when in doubt, split fucking firewood because, I mean, there's something to do. And the animals... 
It's not a gimme. Um, when I say that, meaning with a rifle, everything's probably more of a, of a gimme. But if you go up there with a bow, I'd say you got a real good chance for caribou. And I'm no expert, I've, you know, but got a real good chance for moose. Um, doll, I would say 50-50, maybe 60-40. Doll's 60-40, yeah, it's rough. It's, you know, getting into position. Um, if you, you know, can get after it. And having yeah. the patience to wait on <laughs> yeah. a ram. Like when, a ra- when the rams know you're on the mountain, they're not, you, you can't get them. Yeah. So you have to make sure that you're unknown, first of all. Then you, and then you have to, you know, your shots are going to be typically a little on the longer side. And you have to start to deal with the weather. I mean, your shot opportunity comes up. You've been sitting on a ram for four days. And there he is. He's, you know, somewhere in that 60-yard range. And you can't catch him with your rangefinder because of the fog. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just all of those things. And you paid $28,000 for that. And that's not a gimme. And <laughs> I, I can say, because I think we were on 23 sheep hunts when I was up there. Yeah. One, we were able to, we, 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 I know I could have killed with a stick bow. One. That's a lot of fucking hunting. And, yeah. and, and again, the fog, not, not just, it's fucking cold up there. It's, it's advanced three <laughs> months. So August up there is like, what would you say, mid-October down here? <clears throat> yeah, easily. And then when yeah. you get into October up there, it's fucking winter. winter. I mean, it's bad. Um, well, I remember when we got out, we had to rush because there's a fucking blizzard coming. It was like October yeah. 9th. And Se- <laughs> September, I'll be in your minus 20 bag. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's well, and. And well, not that it's minus 20, but that's cold. It's cold. <laughs> and yeah. when, when we were up there, uh, it was a new area for clay. They had just bought it because uh, they had the, uh, the, the government. Took took, yeah. So there was things like um, we flew to one of the farthest outposts, what were you call it, a FOB, a forward operating base, because we had to take all this stuff out of it to bring it back into the camp. And so you don't realize, in fact, why don't you talk about how big are those areas? Oh, comp- look, as an American listening that's, let's say, from Iowa or Hunts, Utah or Colorado, if I stood in the middle of NWT or McKenzie Mountain, how far in every direction am I looking before I run out of the area you can hunt? Oh, I mean, it's so vast. I mean, I think what the human eye can see 20, 20 something miles or 18 miles or something like that. I mean, it's vast. It's, it's country that's so big. Um, but that's the allure. Like when you get there, not only are you, you know, potentially successful on your hunt for the whatever species you're after, but the sights and sounds and feelings that you're getting from this wild place in itself. Uh, Grizzlies it's, running fucking everywhere. Wolves. It's remarkable. Yeah, it's <laughs> remarkable. And I mean, NWT, you can go from the most beautiful mountain range you've ever seen in your life into complete, you know, full on muskeg, muskeg swamp. <laughs> Desert, <laughs> yeah. right, right to a frozen desert. You know, I was up uh, hunting muskox with Kyler Knelson, yeah, uh, and and his bunch, uh, all the way from you know Arctic all the way down to you know where Clay and them hang their hat for sheep and uh, the rest of it. Shot a, you know, I shot the number three in the world archery uh, mountain caribou up there. No kidding. What uh, that score? Uh, Four twelve. You know that photo I showed you the other day of that caribou. So it's it, that same caliber, big. Yeah, huge. <laughs> and and that's the thing. That's you know that's archery. They're shooting bulls in there with their rifles in the four forties, four fifties. That one I showed you a photo was four thirty seven. Yeah, from from the tent. <laughs> so, but I, again, I you know we're getting off because I'm I obviously I'm a leg humper of the NWT and the Yukon. 
you're paying for what you get to see and what you get to do. You'll never see it again. And I, I, that's one of the, when shooting stars fall, oftentimes I'm like, please let me end up back in the NWT because it is. And you could see Clay, you know, being that close to a friend. I'm like looking around and he's like, hey, you see that mountain range? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, that's inside this area. And we look straight to our back. He's like, you see that one? That's part of this too. And every point of the compass as far as you could see. And yeah. it's different um, ecosystems. I mean, like you said, when you go up, one of the most amazing things I saw when we were flying over in the helicopter was a band of rams at the top of one of the, not high for us, but I mean, 7,000 feet. On, you know, you get those uh, real like shale type slopes and those sandy berms bedded on one of those. We, and we flew over and it literally was amazing. And as we dropped down, there's mountain caribou just below them, uh, you know, staying out of the bucks. Yeah. And then next thing you know, same flight, there's a fucking grizzly chasing, chasing moose, um, you know, down in the muskeg. Yeah. And all of that was in one flight just to go to the Norman Wells and pick up a client. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. and that's, I think a lot of people have to understand that too. When they hear, you know, you, you can easily peak out there at 7,000 to 9,000 feet. You know, for you guys here that live in Denver, Colorado, it's not very high, mm-hmm. but you have to remember when you're in the bottom, you're starting at close 3, to sea level. Yeah, it's, it's low. You yeah, two thousand. So it's, I mean, it's nasty. I mean, it's one of those things. I get asked all the time, you know, as a sheep hunter, you know, and of course this whole thing, sheep shape, and we actually before the you know red light went on and recorded this, we were talking about diets and working out, and you know, I have never, nor probably will I ever. Climb a mountain uh, without a weapon in my hands and a tag in my pocket. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> oh, shit. I, and I would say, like, uh, we were talking about, my house is at 10,000 feet. So, like, when he and I get to travel, like, when we went to Alaska, I about got a migraine from too much oxygen. Like, it was... <clears throat> no kidding. It really wasn't fair. Um, I quite honestly felt bad for the guide. Like, yeah. Because I... And he, you're in better... Frank's in better shape than I am. Um. I don't know. I didn't, we didn't talk about it until we both got done. Um, like I went in and I was like, I mean, I'm going to get blasted for this, but I was like, that was pretty fucking easy. <laughs> I was like, that was not very bad. Um, no, we didn't deal with musk. It was just devil's club and underbrush, but bunch of underbrush. Devil's I mean, club is. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. But like when you're from where we are and where Frank and I hunt, where we're going in, you know, six, seven, eight, nine miles and it, at uh, starting at eight and ended up at 12, 13, you know, they pointed to where we were going and I was like, Hmm. That's not very far. You know, I didn't, I'm not complaining. Perspective. You know what? If a fucking storm came in, I bet I'd be singing a different tune. You know what I mean? But so (laughs) I'm I'm super curious about this now because I always poke fun at these guys that I see doing their, you know, because everybody's doing workout videos and this kind of stuff. Um, For a guy who doesn't do any of that, I mean, zero of that. Yeah. Um, Of course, I sit there on my own little magic carpet and make, make fun of them right <laughs> but so you're at ten thousand feet and you're hunting in elevations you could get up to what 16 you said no or, so for here 12, I was, 12 13 you can get to 14 here but i would say we're hunting at 12 to 13 is yeah. our mule deer yeah. so when are you oxygen mass or any of this kind no, of stuff right no because i mean the I went to, I was in, you know, Kyrgyzstan last year and we got up to 17. Yeah, say 16 to 18. Man. And you want to talk about a sorry sack of shit. Yeah. I, I can remember shooting my <laughs> rifle. Uh, there was a 300 yard range there, kind of at base camp, which was. You get you know, winded going to see where you hit? Dude, I had to take a break. 
I had to walk in 300 yards to see where I hit. Halfway there, I had to sit down and take a break. So, I, I would say you would pro- if you went on a, a backpack hunt with us, you'd, you would probably start working out. Yeah. Um, roughly, and Frank, you can chime in, four to eight miles in with 65 pounds, and the party has just gotten started because the stocks are much fucking worse than the hike in. Some, sometimes, some of them are easy. Yeah. Where I think people, you get a guy that uses horses a lot or does, um, you know, hunts where you're not backpacking in, it's different, right? But generally where the rubber meets the road, I think, is like, like you talk about you got winded or whatever, like somebody goes on a stock and just has to flat fucking stop and come back because they can't make it because of the altitude. We take it for granted because, we, we, you know, we live here, but I mean, was Alaska easy to you? Um, well, yeah, like you were saying in the beginning of this podcast, every place has its own little factors there. Yeah. So physically, uh, physically easy. not so bad. I think the first trip that we went on for goat, it wasn't so bad. Um, this last trip with me and Dave, we had uh, Marcel with us, our, our guide, and he was in shape, dude. And he yeah. was, he's a hiking mofo. So he was pretty hard to keep up with, but, um, it wasn't anything crazy cause we were, I was used to the altitude. So yeah, it, it, it's all me- for me. It was at least more mental than it is physical, I think. I'm 100% pe- in agreement. Yeah, people that. doubt themselves on what they and can I do. Say, I say that, you know, right following my whole spiel about I've never worked out and I'm the piece of shit, <laughs> really. But uh, <laughs> mental toughness, though, that's something, you know, there is no quit. Like you said, hey, I've had guys quit on a stock because they just couldn't do it. Well, I, I just can't, in my head, see that ever happening. But again, everybody's you, a little you, different. You got to think, yeah. there's people that save their entire year uh, probably arguably almost forced face divorce from focusing on a, on a hunt in Colorado. And, and Frank, if you think I'm wrong, chime in. They'll get here and on the hike in, they'll give up and go home in two days. And that happens every year and yeah. by probably I've, I've, close to thousands of people, but hundreds. Well, I've seen that. I've even seen in, that. in Alaska, where there was the guy that was there before us. Um, hopefully he doesn't listen to this. He, he was a fairly wealthy fellow and he went up and they made it a mile up the river. And then once the, the, the guide said they made it probably a hundred yards up the, the mountain and the dude said, I'm done. Yeah. And the, you know, and the you know sheep are, or the goats are two, 3000 feet up there. And he's like, that's it, man. It's terrible to say this, but <clears> I've <throat> seen a lot of guys quit on the sheep hunts and the mountain hunts. And you know who those guys are? You guys who can afford to rebook it next year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. What, that's, that's what, that's, that's a good point. Well, I, I would say that, uh, uh yeah, I agree a hundred percent because, um, same thing with like, I was an, I was not enamored. I was shocked. Some of the people that killed early, the amount of money they paid to get out of there early when they were in one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't have to take care of them anymore, but yeah. I'm like, I could stay here and fucking fish for seven years. Like I was like, holy cow. And they'll pay 6,500 bucks extra to get well, out. It's just that quit. How bad do you want something in your life? Whether it's, whether it's a hunt we're talking about, whether it's owning a business uh, anything, you know, case in point, you know, I came when I was finishing my first slam for sheep. I needed the desert. I left the desert till last and I got a hold of, you know, our mutual friend, Clay. And, uh, you know, uh, contrary to popular belief, uh, a TV show budget doesn't get you very far. <laughs> <laughs> so especially not with desert. <laughs> yeah. So when it come down to this desert hunt, um, you know, I had X amount of dollars that the show was willing to budget for this hunt, and I had to come up with the rest of it myself. How bad do you want it? Uh, 
it's it's real easy to convince yourself that you don't need it, um, especially for a guy like myself. Um, you know, I have completed the slams. They're not registered. Yeah. I never, because I don't give a shit about that for me. You know, it's a very, it's a very public thing that I'm doing, but don't kid yourself. This is all, this is all for me. Super selfish. Yeah. You know, uh, although it's, it seems to be very public, it's for me. Um, so when it come to the book in this hunt, a guy like Clay, he could see how bad I wanted it. Um, I sold a watch. I give Clay my Can-Am quad. Uh, <laughs> I, a, I took some horse trading. I mean, yeah, you, whatever. And then at the end of the day, the shortfalls, again, uh, come from that support group that you have, whether that be your wife or your family or, or anyone else. And I could still remember, and I always get a little choked up when I think about it, my wife sitting at the table after I've sold everything that I, that I could sell uh, that didn't really mean anything to me or that I thought I could replace at another date. And she sat and she goes, <clears throat> do you want me to sell my vehicle? Oh, shit. To, to pay for the rest of the hunt. And of course, that never happened. But that's kind of the, the, how bad do you want it? And, and then, you know, the courtesy of others, uh, right from my wife to, to a guy like Clay, right, yeah. who owns the outfit. And he'll get fucking after it for a short little fat, well, he's not fat anymore, but dude, that yeah. dude can go. <laughs> dude, dude can go and he understands. I think he, you know, he's been in the business long enough to know. He knows the, the deep pockets that can come year after year. And he knows the guys that, you know, like myself, who, I mean, I'm, I'm literally, you know, tell me who you need whacked. It's funny you talk about that, like support. And I'm not comparing this to anything, but a funny story, a uh, goat hunt, Frank and I went on. Um, two years ago, three, no, the one I was up here, Colorado. <clears throat> oh, uh, two years ago. I, I drew a goat tag. I wanted my wife to, to be able to go, uh, and watch from the Valley floor. And, and, and Luke went, we just had to wait for him for a couple hours. But that was the day before I was shooting off my roof of my house. And, uh, I, I got posture issues or whatever. Anyway, I pulled an arrow and, uh, I fucking rib pulled or I hit the ground like a sniper hit me. And I was like, oh, so I let wobble. I'm like. I can't draw my bow. And so I was telling her, she's like, well, just let it, my wife, she's let it rest or whatever. And, and, uh, that next morning I got up and I couldn't draw my, my bow. I want to kill with a recurve. And, um, I told her, I said, I think I'm going to, I'm going to have Frank bring his, his gun and I'm going to shoot it with a rifle. And she basically put her hands on my shoulders and said, don't be a fucking pussy. You'll find a way. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you got to know my wife, right? But she thought that did come out of her mouth. She's like, you'll regret this the rest of your fucking life if you don't try. And I'm like, ah, it's because I think the first thing I told you when you got there was like, we got to get close, Frank. Because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't draw my bow back the whole way. And we did end up getting, and you, you did bring the gun and we didn't bring it with us. But I mean, we didn't, whatever, on the stock. And we ended up, fuck, how fucking close was it? 12, 14 yards or something? I don't know. Maybe. That's yeah, I was, I was 10 feet above it for, like a fucking idiot. I took my jacket off to be quieter. And that wind was blowing up, and I don't know how long I was above it. And I mean, like, from the ceiling to the floor. And I'm like, Frank, stand this motherfucker up, man. I had the recurve, and finally, I think you hit it with a rock. You know how once they plant, they don't get up, yeah. especially in the cliffs we were in. Like, we were at, what, 12-9, probably? Yeah, pretty close. To yeah. Even yeah, high, wow. right? So we climbed up there, and Luke and Amy had never seen two guys 
fit climb. So they thought we were going to be, and I think Amy said, we thought it'd take you an hour and a half. And what were you? Oh, we got up there quick. Yeah. 20 minutes, we were above it. And so, but again, it's visually and what you know from doing it. So we're going at one point though, he was side hilling and I kept falling and I was putting my arm on the ground and fucking killing my shoulder. And I'm like, dude, I got to go up. And you were like, why the fuck are you doing? But I would, we figured it out later. We got to a point, I guess you were 27 yards to my left. Is that right? And I was feet above it for a while. He stood it up and I couldn't draw my bow. So I did some Kentucky wind. It's like, okay, this arrow is going to tear stiff. So it's going to impact left. So I aimed to the right side of the body. And uh, Luke actually got photos of the arrow coming out of its chest from the valley floor. Um, of course, I got bashed for that being unethical by people too. But how bad do you want it? I don't, I don't understand the, the, the bashing side of it. I mean, it's, you know, the mule deer I spot and stalked this year. Um, my buddy got the same thing through the spotting scope. He videoed it from the other side yeah. and got the arrow coming through. Um, but I'm curious, you know, 10 feet above it, bedded. Uh, will you not take a bedded shot or? Me? It oh, was on fuck. That. No, it I was can on only that. see its hoof. It was, oh, a, there was an o- overhang. Yeah, I would have emptied my fucking quiver in the <laughs> first five say, seconds. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure you're the guy, yeah. you know, <laughs> that would when, when kill we got him a, in its bed. When we got above it, oh, f- I prefer them in their bed. Yeah. I, I, I mean, some people are like, don't shoot them in the bed. I'm like, fuck that. I shoot them in the bed, right? They, they're not going to move very quick, but it was so I could see one hoof, and I pivoted back and forth, what, three yards in that cliff? To a point of about fucking dying trying to get a shot off. And I'm like, it ain't happening. And so he started throwing rocks. And when it went to the right, it came out from that overhang and I put an arrow in it right there. Awesome. Um, no, hell no. I would have shit. No, I would. Dude, I was freezing <laughs> balls by the time. And remember when we left, I'm real big on these like a five point contingency plan of, hey, we're leaving. You know, if this happens, whatever, like a plan. And I remember telling Luke and Amy both, we have nothing. If we kill it, Bring up water and food. What did they bring? I don't think they brought much. They didn't fucking bring anything. <laughs> and, <laughs> and all, our, all of our gear was back down at the bottom. It was fun. I mean, I, I was super stoked that they were able to see it. But, you know, the, the bashing portion, one way to look at it, of everything you could have taken out of that, the family aspect, my wife being there, two of my best friends being there, the dedication, uh, you know, me being injured, finding a way, Frank being able and, and helping me to do it. They said I took an unethical shot. That, I'm like, if that's what you took out of that, you're an idiot. That's another a completely whole two-hour podcast, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, because I don't, I don't understand that either. The, the things that people draw out of, um, you know, taking a, a kid on a hunt, you know, and I, it's, sad part is it's hunters bashing other hunters yeah, yeah. Uh, for the most part. And I don't know if it's just, you know, you always hear that jealousy, haters going to hate and all this bullshit and everybody talks about it. But, you know, I think the people that hate the most are, are most often those closest to you. Yeah. Um, you know, especially in your geographical area, because they think, you know, that they can do it. If, if I can do it, he can do it. And like, again, you know, it's uh, just because I have a TV show doesn't make me some kind of hero hunter. Fuck no. I mean, I I've, think the de- dedication for you to get where you're at definitely puts you on a, a, a level of well, you, someone to ad- admire or someone to, you know, maybe follow along with your foot, your footsteps of you p- put your head down and get after it. You, you can you do come it. You from can, money. 
No. Okay. That's, a, that's the thing. You you know? and, and that's, that's the thing. <laughs> you right? shot, well, you shot two slams? Two slams. And you well, didn't just come about from, two slams. I what? need one more sheep. And, and you didn't come from money? No. I mean, that, that says a lot. You, fi- you find a ways in your life, you f- just find ways to make it happen. Yeah, going back to much earlier, you know, when I threw that out there about the golf, you know, a pro golfer, um, that's no bullshit. I, I truly believe that if I want something, I'll find a way to make it happen. If you love it. Yeah. If you, you don't, to, I would disagree. But yeah. if it's something you truly want to do, and we talk about this on the podcast, Frank didn't come from anything either. Um, if you, um, I, I came from nothing, but like guys that say how lucky I am. And I'm like, there's a lot of fucking sacrifice and hard work in this luck, right? Yeah. And the same with Frank. It's, it's almost disrespectful when somebody says, look how lucky you are. Yeah. That's well, how I take it. I mean, and I, I bring up Frank because I, if he was a shitty employee, would he get to go on all these hunts? Well, no, he's fucking earned them. He's working hard <clears throat> and, and earning it. And I think that's what people fail to realize. And I was in that spot, I'm sure, many years ago where I would, in jealousy or whatever, was if I would have stopped hating and whatever you want to, and just put my fucking head down and went after it, which is what I ended up doing. Same with Frank. Uh, and Frank's never been a, a hater, but meaning if I look at, I'm going to bring up Cam because he's a friend. If I look at Cam and I'm like, fucking guy, I can't, whatever. Well, he came from nothing too. I mean, he, he earned it, like him or not. If you work hard enough for what you want, just about anything. I mean, I'm never going to probably play in the NBA, but most things are attainable with hard work. Photography. Do I look like a fucking photographer? I wanted to take photos. I figured it out. Like you're yeah. now with the PGA. Frank, you started doing, what, three years ago CrossFit. Is that a passion of yours now? Yeah. Okay. Do you think you could go to the CrossFit games if you didn't have to work at Kafari? <laughs> I don't know. It's too old probably. Uh, but you know what I mean? <laughs> at, at a time, right? I mean, yeah. you, you probably could have if you put your heart into it. What people leave out, like with the shooting and what's unethical or ethical, the amount of time you put into it how much you practice, you know what I mean? All of those things, they put you in that box that they're in. And if they suck, you suck. If they can't make that shot, then you can't make that shot. I don't believe that. Now, there is a distance you probably shouldn't shoot, but for me to shoot a goat in, you know, 20, 30 feet in in walking away, I would take that shot every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Fucking yeah. goat was walking off at a pace that literally I could have lassoed the fucker if I knew how. So, and there was an amazing amount of people that messaged me of you're promoting unethical shots. And I'm thinking, well, you could look at it as I'm promoting fucking practice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, that's it. Take yeah. a look at it through a different set of goggles, you know? Um, well, would you want me shooting it fucking you two at 12 to 14, 20 feet? No. <laughs> okay. Well, no. not unless I could shoot back. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're walking <laughs> with a gun. Look. But that, that's my point where people brought up Levi Morgan. And I'm like, well, I'd rather have you shooting at me at 40 than that fucking guy at 100. Oh, 100%. You <laughs> so know. not you, Frank, because you'll hit me. But some guys, when you see them because of their <laughs> skill level or the work they put into it, don't have what Levi has. He's earned all that. Yeah. And, you know, Levi is one of those guys, too. And, and I don't know. I, you know, I don't know him well enough to know whether he'd appreciate this or, or look down upon it, but you know, he's that, he's one of those guys I put in that killer category Yeah, and, and that's very respectful, you know, love him or hate him. Josh Bomar, he's a killer, Yeah, you know, um, and that's not taking away from calling them a hunter or a great hunter or any of that stuff. It's just for me, when I look at it, you know, uh, yourself, not because you're sitting here, not because I feel like I have to blow sunshine up your skirt. You're a fucking killer. 
I try to be. You know? Well, and you look at that, I mean, is you know, whatever, I, I use the same terminology. When we get a guy, in, like if Frank showed up at camp, first thing I would say to the, you know, if I'm guiding to the outfitter or the other guides is, fuck, we're good, he's a killer. That doesn't mean that he's a bloodthirsty guy we got to look out for. That means in the moment of truth, probably not going to fuck up. I call it the hot blood. And, you know, I think I've been blessed with that. And it's this weird thing. I call it the hot blood because it, it warms me up. And that's the only thing I can think it is. <laughs> uh, you know, in that moment of truth, when it's all happening, I am cool, calm, collected. I'm super focused. And I get this hot feeling from my toes all the way to my head. Like menopause. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I can't say for sure. Uh, but anyway, I, you know, I, I execute my shot. And then afterwards, I, that's when I fall apart. Yeah. But leading up to that moment, it's, I mean, it's an, you know, that cliche, another day at the office type thing. But I think you get that from, you know, repetition. You know, when I come in here and, and you say, I don't think people understand how many animals that I hunt a year. Um, I do, because I, I do the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I know you do. Yeah. You know, so... Um, if we're having a race, I don't know which one, you, if I would bet on you or me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you see, every year we do 13 episodes, and uh, but I probably do 26 hunts. Yeah. You know, uh, because I'm, I'm constantly, if I have, I mean, look at, on the weekend, literally hour or a day and a half in Nebraska, and I'm like, I make the decision, yeah, that's worth it, for sure. Yeah. A day and a half? Why not? Go try it. One thing we were talking about a, a minute ago, like falling apart after the shot or what, one of the reasons I'm so infatuated with whitetail now, I'd never done it. I mean, I say never, very rarely. So when you rewind to our first op, your first mule deer stock or your first sheep, how jacked up you were and not at the level maybe as good as you are now, where fast forward now, I mean, I'm excited on a mule deer stock, but... The whitetail, since I hadn't done it, watching one come out from 200, it fucked me up. I mean, I, this was a feeling I hadn't felt in quite some time. And so for me, people are like, I can't believe you like whitetail hunting. And I'm like, I, I like that, that, feel, that warm feel, that adrenaline. I like that feeling of, and the unknown, right? Is well, it coming it's, in? It's, it, one, again, it, it boils down to those things that you haven't done or haven't done a lot of. Yeah. You know, sort of for mule deer, uh, you know, I've done a lot of mule deer hunts. Um, and again, you simplify it, you know, don't add any extra pressure to your stock. Here's, you want to kill a mule deer, get eyes on your mule deer, watch them go to bed. Look at your watch, let them sleep for three hours, then just walk over there and kill them. That's it. It's super simple. That's what you have to do. And once you've done that, once you realize it, I used to be the guy I'd, I'd put that mule deer to bed. In an hour into it, I'd be like, oh, I'm sure he's asleep. <laughs> yeah, let's hard. go, let's go, yeah, let's go. And it's just like, no, here's that rule of thumb. No different than our, that we love our 280 feet a second. That's, that's our honey hole. Watch that mule deer. What, you know, when he goes down, give him three hours. Then walk up to him. He'll be so asleep. You can get away with so much more. Get into your 30-yard, 20-yard position and kill him. And again, for me, if I can see him, I'm killing him. I'm not waiting, I'm not waiting for him to stand up. I don't have the patience and I do have the proficiency. So, uh, you know, it's that kind of a thing. Whitetail, they're so predictable yet so unpredictable. It's different every time. I, I, yeah, I, uh, Frank hasn't gotten to hunt whitetail as, as much. I was hoping he'd get to go more with me this year. It didn't work out. But uh, the, the thing with a mountain hunt, you are, 
most with mule deer, goat, and sheep, you are going to the animal. Whitetail are coming to you. Yeah. And that, and I, I've tried to explain that to people of like, when that fucker comes out at eight yards, I don't have as much nerves because it's there, right? Yeah. And, and it happens so quick. When the little fucker comes out chasing a doe at 300, there's a lot can go wrong. That doe, just for the fuck of it, may just run in the opposite direction. And so, again, like, and he's heard this story. We had a, a buck, I think Scotty called him the kickstand. And uh, Scotty's watching from 800 yards out. And a buck we had worked hard to, to kill, it, in, which I didn't fucking kill it. It came out at 280 yards on a hot doe. Her tail was straight up coming right at me. Scotty said his legs were shaking uncontrollably. It had like a 12-inch <laughs> kickstand coming off its main beam. Awesome. And it was probably, for Texas, where we were at, probably 165 buck. Big, big deer That's for them. That's a big there. deer anywhere. And so it's, it's coming. And uh, I don't, have you ever seen me shake on a hunt, Frank, or go? Well, I was I fucking so. shaking. So it was a ladder stand, a 16-footer, and you know, they'll have those things. The pins, you, can, you could hear the pins rattle. Right <laughs> yeah, so it was backwards, that thing that goes in front of you, and we bunged it to the tree. But, and I'm like, fucking, so I pinned my elbow against it. And I'm like, Jesus, and I had typewriter legs so fucking bad. And I'm like, Snyder, killed fucking hundreds and a thousand. What the fuck is right? And mentally, I'm going through this. I'm like, breathe. That didn't help. So finally, I take and I grab my right leg. And I'm like, please don't hear this fucking thing shaking. And the only thing that probably saved me on that is windy. It'll shake a little. They looked a couple of times. And like you said, nothing is given. We were on, and in Texas, you can bait. We were between bed feed to feeder. So the feeder was 200, 150 yards to my left. Yeah. And they rotate through there. Yeah. 40 yards out, fucking doe stops, goes north. Never saw it again. And I shook so fucking bad from that. And so... There's no great ending to this story. I didn't kill the deer. Yeah. But I think people think with whitetail, they're dumb and they're you know, patternable. That's, or, a, that's a thing, though. I, that is a great ending to yeah, a great story. Memorable experience. I, it would have been more memorable if I killed it, but I cannot, to this day, I'll remember that forever because a guy who's a killer uh, and have put lots of animals on the ground, I didn't totally fall apart in the sense of like, uh, you know, forgot my name and fell out of the stand, but I was pretty fucked up. Yeah. And so- I try to convey that to people of like, hey, take somebody out of their element. Luckily, my element, because of my age, is pretty damn big. Well, part of that fucking pie chart is not filled. And that was a whitetail. Well, and that's, <laughs> the, the, you know, the desire to succeed in that experience right there will drive a guy to keep going back because you want to duplicate that. Yeah. And not only duplicate it, you want to have a different outcome. You know, so, you know, will you be back in that stand in Texas or whether it's Kansas or up in Alberta or Saskatchewan, those are, those are the things, even our failures, uh, drive us to succeed. You know, I, I hunted a particular whitetail, uh, 406 hours in a tree stand before I killed him. That'll do it. Over yeah. three, over three years. Yeah. What I, I do, and back in the day, it's probably the same way. Like, you know, uh, why would you whitetail hunt? You just sit there. You should probably do it before you say that, because I probably was saying that a long time ago. And then now, I can't wait for whitetail season. Um, yeah. By that time, too, I'm pretty fucking beat up from mountain hunting, so I'm ready to eat Twinkies and sit in the fucking exactly. tree stand. But there's a lot to it, too, like the, 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 if you get the game cameras, you know, if, if you're into those or whatever, seeing what's coming, patterning them, where they're coming from, you know, the rut. You can, you can go on a whitetail hunt in the rut. They'll be locked down. So then you have to, you, you might be stocking them in a plum thicket because they're on lockdown. I mean, there's a lot more to it. Full moons, driving feeding patterns and oh, movement fuck. patterns and everything else uh, 
you know, combining into, you know, the success or failure of your hunt, timing alone, all right? For you guys to come up or do a trip, you have a, an allotted week um, where it's different if you're hunting a whitetail in your backyard and you have an entire month or two months. Because, you know, if you get to lockdown, that's it. You're done. I don't the, care. The, the best you can hope for, uh, depending upon the terrain, is finding embedded in a plum thicket. And, and, and hopefully, and that's a lot of glassing. And if you don't have high points or the terrain's wrong, yeah, you are, you are fucked. In Oklahoma and Texas, you can maybe stock them if they're, they're locked down on a doe, but it could take you four days to fucking find one. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, on the whitetails, you're waiting for them to come to you. But, you know, the work and preparation that goes into successfully killing a, a good whitetail, um, you know, you're actually trying to find him, trying to pattern him first. I'll tell you the story oh, on that yeah. one in a second. That's a big deer. Um, but anyway, you know, you're, you're trying to pattern him, find him out, figure him out, understand where he lives, where he's feeding, where he's bedding, um, where he's chasing ass, you know, at that time of year. That's how he killed that one. And, the uh, vagina killed him. Yeah. <laughs> the death, the <laughs> yeah. death of many men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're right there. There's a ton to it. And I didn't respect it enough. And, uh, and, and then after all that, after you have all that handled, then you're waiting for him to come to you. And hoping the wind is good. Um, and it's like, like that one, the, the morning I killed that buck, and those deer are pretty sketchy, um, what saved him um, was uh, trying to draw on those things, especially when they're used to being tree stand. They look up a lot. Yep. I, had, uh, I got tunnel vision on him. W one of the does was to my left. Uh, she saw me draw. Um, the doe that was hot followed that doe. She went that way. He went 100 yards up the hill and turned around because he didn't see it. She did. He couldn't stay away from her. Yeah. And that's what killed him. Yeah. Because he literally, I'm like, there's hope. There's hope. And he was like looking, looking and came down. I shot him at nine yards. And if it wasn't for that doe being a hot doe, I probably wouldn't have killed him. But I think, you know, in that scenario, I've had it happen so many times when you're, you know, you mentioned Audad too, you know, they're big groups, lots of eyes watching you. Um, you, I think the right thing to do is focus on your target animal. At that point in the game, that's the only thing you can do. If you're sitting there worried about that doe and this doe and you'll never give yourself the opportunity. So while we're telling stories, this, uh, um, where is it at? So this deer here, that was in South Dakota. One of the cool things with that, um, and it, we, I could have had you or Frank, it was with my, my wife. Um, and Ryan Rotier was sitting beside Amy, and I, you know, I'm like going after this deer. So I put on basically a, a, um, a textbook five-hour stock of what it takes when shit goes south and you just doze everywhere, bucks bedded around. Yeah five approaches and he's able to tell her what I'm going to do before I do it because he just like Frank could. Yeah. Okay. He's going to go up to this. So I go up and I finally get all the way around and above him. And uh, when I'm above him, I'm watching, I'm not watching him. That fucker's bedded away. I'm watching one doe and she was a bitch. Uh, I'm watching her ears. And he had just told Amy, uh, he's fucked. She's got him. And right after that, I sent a text to Ryan. This doe's a bitch. And, uh, <laughs> and Amy's laughing because she's like, he knew exactly the issues you were having. And so I finally, after laying there in a 30 mile an hour wind, I'm like, I texted over. I said, dude, no guts, no glory. I'm, I'm going for it. I'm going to low crawl down. 
It's like, if I clear the next 40 yards, he's going to die. Sure as shit, that, he stopped paying attention to me. Off I went in low crawling. Now it looked like, you know, my fucking rangefinder was like an anchor because I was going through willows low crawling. <laughs> I, clear the, I clear the willows and I got 80 yards to this rock. And, and Ryan's like, he, he's going to kill it now. He's, that fucking deer is dead. So I pretty much just walked, signed a hunch to this rock. I kneel down and um, he's bedded away. And uh, I'm like, I can sneak it in, right? And so I'm behind this rock for quite some time at 18 yards or whatever. Well, no, I was at 32 and I oh, got to 18. Tight, and, real tight. Uh, well, actually, on the it's cool because on the video, um, and and well, and, you're using a stick bow too. I should I shouldn't say tight, like 20 yards. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got to 18. 30 yards isn't so tight, not for me anyway. <laughs> so you can see like right there. That's that's where I started. Oh yeah. Um, and so. He, she is able to learn from Ryan because I'm, he's, he's hunted enough just like you or Frank would be able to do, tell her, and he said, I don't know if he's close enough at that rock if he'll shoot with this wind, he's going to have to get closer. Literally five seconds later, I'm on my face low crawling up because I can't make that shot. I could make that shot all day long without the wind. What's up, dude? Um, but I couldn't make it without the wind, so I finally got up enough to where I a tight cornering shot. I mean, I skimmed the ass cheek and went straight up in it. Um, but five hours, what that took. Yeah. Um, and when I shot it, what was funny is we could see six total deer, uh, two other bucks, one kind of cactus buck, one younger buck and then in, in does. When I shot that deer, one of the coolest things about it, I was so sneaky. They just stood there. Had no idea. They stayed there for five minutes to a point. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. That's I, awesome. But <laughs> I want to go get my hands on them. Yeah. <laughs> the wind and everything else, you know what I mean? was a big factor in that. And like Frank, on some of the stocks you've done, that one, you took your boots off high country, right? The stocks are a mile and a half or whatever. You took your boots off and the fucking deer was right in front of you, wasn't it? Before. Yeah. Like I just <laughs> taken them. I, I went a little bit further than I should have. And I look up and I just see antlers like. I don't know, 10, 12 yards. You have your boots off or what you were taking them off? I think I was in process of taking them off. (laughs) You were in process when you spotted the deer again? I like look up and there's like antlers like rubbing against a small pine or something like that. It it was just right there. I'm like, oh, fuck. He's going solo, right? We don't hunt together normally. And so he doesn't have somebody to flag him in. And you got to think he's at 12.6 here. There's a valley and the deer over here a mile away. And that fucker has to walk all the way around and come in on him. So it's not a, a gimme, which well everything looks so dang. much so 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 similar once you get over there. Yeah. yeah. Well, he watched me fucking walk past a buck from what was that two and a half miles oh, to get to him walking. Yeah. And uh, are you guys using the Onyx mm-hmm. stuff? No, I, I don't have cell service. Stock. We had we have uh, in some spots we have cell service, yeah. but when you're on the stock, it's, it's well, the in reach, and that's not a effective. Me, way if of I had service, I would have had him text me. I didn't but, have uh, it. But uh, does the on like we use a eye hunter? It's called. Yeah, yeah. Um, but down here, it's all Onyx, and so, the guy made me, or, or not made me, but downloaded it for me so I could figure out because I've just borrowed land it, to do it, this hunt. Right, it's not accurate enough for stick bow close, even yeah. compound, because you could put a pin, but you're not, that pin isn't within twenty meters. Oh, okay, um, gotcha. So, because I um that eye hunt lander used it uses that for like spots where he's seen bucks and shit, but. You know, when I got over there, I had taken a picture of it. And so I don't know if you could see me. I'm like, and I physically made a decision to fuck it up 
I was going the right direction. I think you said the moment I went left or you knew, knew I was screwed, I fucking walked past the deer. Yeah. Now, how far was it over there? Straight across this big basin. It's probably a mile straight across, but you have to go all the way around. So it's probably yeah, yeah, two and, and a half. Yeah. Pretty, it, it's pretty a, I mean, I had the fucking cone of shame coming back because I had to go a long ways <laughs> yeah. to get back. And, you know, other stocks that happens. And again, you know, how bad do you want it? I know, Frank prefers to, you know, to hunt on his own. And some of the, you know, if you only take the bad from it, screwed up and what you can talk yourself off the mountain quick where, you know, for me, while I'm not happy that I blew the deer out, it's like, fuck, that was exciting. You know yeah. what I mean? You got to look at the bright side. And I mean, you've done... Fuck, I mean, what? Frank does a lot of like the 10 to 14 day hunts on his own, and there's nobody flagging that fucker. And occasionally I get a text, uh, rough day in weather today, sir, just going to give her tomorrow. You know, shit yeah. like that. Cause I mean, you, you killed that one three by three on day. Oh, geez. Day nine or day 10. Solo yeah. hunt. Solo. Yeah. Season. That's the, you know, it's the fun. <clears throat> those are the funnest hunts for me to go on, the solo hunts. And I don't get to do it as much. You know, I've been doing the TV gig for so long, and you always got a cameraman following you around and back in the day you'd have a cameraman and a sound man like literally with the big boom mic. <laughs> yeah. literally while you're hunting it, it was so crazy <clears throat> but there's nothing like breaking out and going you know 10 12 14 days on a solo i mean i like to do the sheep hunts it's cool just to see what you're capable of um well and mentally you, you know and you go at your own pace too like you know no matter who you are you mentioned it earlier, you know, trying to keep up with that guide. And as soon as I hear somebody say trying to keep up, I go, you haven't done it enough. Because mm -hmm. you should never try to keep up with anyone. Go at your own pace. Right. Um, otherwise, you'll wreck yourself. And if you get the wrong guide, like if you got a guide that had Aaron's personality, he would fucking bury you. <laughs> <laughs> and he would laugh the whole time. He did it, right? I think he was test so, testing us more than that? anything on, on this last go. Oh, gotcha. The, uh, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, well, and, and some hunting partners that you should get rid of if they are that competitive, I think it's fucking bad. Like yeah. you shouldn't be that well, way. Well, it's super toxic. If you get a guy like that, who's, you know, wants to out tough you. Yeah. That's super toxic and shouldn't happen. No. And I mean, there was, I would say for a while you and I were pretty close and then we hiked in once and he fucking crushed me. And I mean, I don't know what point we were quarter of the way up and I was in the front thinking, Jesus fucking Christ, Frank's not even breathing hard. And you know, it's a vertical, it's fucking horrible for about a mile, mile and a half straight up. And I'm like, fuck Frank, just fucking go. I'm like, I can't, I, I, I was slowing him down and I, and he wasn't like he would, wasn't, you weren't, you never said anything, but I could just tell like, I'm slowing the fucking train down here. I'm like, go ahead, dude. And, uh, fuck, I don't know how far he beat me by, but 400 yards probably up this oh, yeah. it probably could have beaten me by more but i think that's why i i enjoy the solo hunts you know yeah. uh because there's no pressure of anything not even a cameraman because i'm always i mean my cameramen are in much better shape than i am typically yeah because they're getting ahead of me i don't like to do a lot of the b-roll shit i want it to be super real so like if you want a shot of me climbing a mountain well then you better get ahead of me <laughs> <laughs> yeah because yeah, i'm yeah. not doing it twice yeah i can promise you that um so, but the solo hunts, you know, if I want to walk a mile and take a 20 minute nap, just lay down and have a nap. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what he and I do though. Cause once we get back there, we split up. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's one of the cool things like 
two, two, three, whatever years ago, Frank called me. My spot was kind of getting blown out, said, hey, I killed a buck. Get over here. This year roles kind of reversed. You had got he had people blowing deer out like it was their fucking job. Right. And a long <laughs> ways in. And I mean, when I say it, when you're a long ways in, where the fuck else do you go? Because, you know, there's somebody from where you are <clears throat> back to the truck. So. I think at first I had texted you and said, dude, if you're having bad luck over here, get the fuck over here because there's deer everywhere. I I think I had texted you that. And then you had every deer on the fucking mountain blown out. And I'm like, get the fuck over here, dude, because there's there was there was I sent you a photo. I had stalked in on a group of bucks and I don't know how steep that fucking it's horribly steep side. And what I think I texted you, what were they, 47 yards or something? And I'm like, fuck, I wish you were here because they would have been deader than I had to recurve. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. I, th- I think that morning I had fucked up or blown stocks uh, until two o'clock or so. I don't know. Fuck out. What time was it? I had walked so fucking much and blown so many deer out. I came back to Frank and I'm like, go kill that fucking deer. dude!" Like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody has to. <laughs> um, well, and where it bedded, I had a fucking 1% chance of killing it. You know what I mean? And he's <clears throat> sneaky as fuck anyway. And he, and he had the compound. So distance and he can stalk like a son of a bitch. So. Having a relationship like that is, is, is good. The competitive nature, or if I wanted to be a dick um, and say, okay, I'm, I'm, this is my deer, I'm going, that's not good. And, and he's not like that at all. In that case, I was so fucking mad at that deer. I really wanted it to die anyway. So it was great because he went over and yeah. killed it. But fuck, you walked. You, you had a pretty relatively good stock. I mean, you didn't have any major glitches. He was bedded dumber than shit, wasn't he, when you shot him? This year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been a tough, uh, a tough recurve kill because it just the, been fucking the willows and the creek bed and stuff. It was loud in there, but yeah, um, yeah. To your point, we we don't compete on any hunts, and most of the time we're trying to talk the other one into going in and yeah. and getting the opportunity. So we've lost some turkeys as they walk <laughs> yeah. by the blind about you shoot, who gets no, you to shoot. Yeah, it's, well, and I've had a couple <clears throat> toxic hunting partners, um, and and it's just like you know what. Uh, if Frank can hike faster than me, I'm, I'm stronger than Frank. He's a better, who gives a fuck? I mean, Frank's an impeccable speller. Why does it matter? You <laughs> both make each other better, not the other way around. So it's like, it was, it was weird for me because I'm always the guy, and, and much like you guys, I'm, I'm happy to be there. If he kills one or I want to kill something, right? But if, if Frank gets one or you get one, fucking awesome yeah. you know and so celebration is all the way around yeah yeah mm-hmm. and then and then i know like if 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 frank helps me kill one you know i'm gonna help frank or pack it out although i did fuck you that one if frank packed the whole fucking thing out i didn't help. he's like go ahead and stay which i'm glad because i didn't want to hike back in but frank you killed that one um fuck me how far was that nine miles out where i Just, stayed stayed in oh and, yeah probably it, yeah, it, I don't know what, 140, 30 pounds. It was heavy. I don't, whatever it was, it was a lot of weight. And I. Nine miles? See, that's where I stay an extra three days and I eat half that son of a bitch before I come out. <laughs> this year was nine miles again, too. Oh, I text you. Yeah, like, well, five, I was like, nine miles, five hours later. <laughs> so I'm, because I got the recurve, I'm always the fucking guy at the back of the bus, right? So that year, not this year, but before, I came out. We went to Alaska. I came back. He was going to meet me. But it's late season, which isn't always great in the high country. And uh, I think I called you and said, don't, there's no fucking deer here. Don't, don't come. I think that same day, though, um, I, uh, I spotted these. And I didn't, it was 120. It wasn't a giant. But I, it's one of the most bucks I'm most proud of because I had to hike back in that fucker. And uh, 
I went on that stock and uh, I ended up shooting it at seven or eight yards or something. And, and anyway, um, I, I had a Bane, basically a little backpack yeah. and I had left my shit. It's hard to explain, but you know where I shot it. I left my pack a long fucking ways and my camp was a ways. And so I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to pack it out with it. So I had two dingle balls of game bags in my hands, this pack uh, stuffed with fucking game meat and then my bow strapped to it. I hiked up and over and I, I, you know, you burn up the phone lines, right? I called Amy. Uh, I think I called you. I got one or whatever. Well, I could see a storm coming, but I didn't think it was that bad. Well, I fucked up because it started snowing. And so oh, now boy. I'm trying to find flat ground and I do finally find flat ground. And, um, I mean, this is, you know, not to hump Frank's leg. I said, Hey, you want to help me pack this fucker out? So, and he's here. It's fucking a long ways away for a drive. And so. I don't know what time it was, but I ate two things of Top Ramen and four things of fucking tuna, and I don't know how much other shit in this tent once I got it warm. I built a fire, um, and I literally, in the morning, I go to build a fire, and I can see this lens coming down this god-awful switchback, and I can hear, you are burning fat. You are at what, whatever, he had his heart rate I was like, what the, and it wasn't an Asian lady's fucking voice? Uh, British, I think. So was it is, British? This, <laughs> is this a device that you're like, was, it's a training just, device? Yeah, or what I was is just it? curious and seeing how, how my uh, heart rate was um, on this hike in. But yeah, it's just a, like a strap that goes around and connects to your phone. So, uh, so going back to my earlier question, <laughs> so you are definitely, this like fitness is now a big part of your life because this is. To me, when I hear something like this, it's like you're fucking retarded, hundred <laughs> percent. I just, I was just curious. Yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy I would, fitness. I was just gonna say, I would, <laughs> you would make fun of both of us pretty heavily. Um, you'd create well, well until, until I tried to keep up with well, you. <laughs> the way I look at it, for for what we do, I don't ever want to be a hindrance to Frank. I don't want to ever be able to not do it on my own if I have to, and. Not to, you know, over-dramatize the shit out of it. It's a long ways in. You're surviving with what you have on your back for a long fucking time. In our case, 10 to 14 days. Um, becoming the... And, and again, I make fun of CrossFit and fitness too. Like I, t I make fat kid jokes all the time. But I think what it is, is um, for me, um, I, don't, I, don't, I want to be doing this as long as I can. Yeah. And I, want to, I don't want to be sucking wind because I've been at that position. So there are stocks that we go on, and he really underplays it. There's shit that we do that most fucking humans just probably would won't not do. do. Yeah, won't and, try to do. Yeah. And I, don't, I hate making it sound like that because you hear these guys fucking blowing hunts out of proportion of what they actually are. But again, 14 days on your back is, is, is a commitment. Um, yeah. I would say... At one time, we were training five days a week cardio. Uh, well, yeah, four, probably four or five days a week cardio, um, backpack cardio, up and down a steep hill, shit like that. He's doing CrossFit. I lift a lot. I do a lot. You know, I live at 10,000 feet. My wife drops me off at the bottom of the mountain, and I don't get to eat unless I make it back to the house. We're pretty serious. I'd say he's, taking, he's fucking working out more than I am and probably have for the last year and a half, two years probably. Well, I mean, if on the hunts that we go with each other or with somebody else or guys from here, I like to be an asset. So, yeah, like Dave got hurt um, on the goat hunt, so I helped him carry some of his stuff. So I had the ability to do that. So take a little bit of weight off his back. Or when he killed his caribou, he was 
he had a pretty big load, so I went and took all my shit back to camp, went and grabbed his pack and helped him out. So yeah, uh, it's not. It's I, not dig, a, I dig guys like you. Yeah, it's it's not. Um, because the older well, I, I mean, get, we don't ever fucking brag about working out. I don't. I, I yeah, I, I, I enjoy I, it, but I like to, this, to be an asset. Yesterday was my first photo in nine months of me working out, and I work out every day, <laughs> and I did it to be a smart ass. <laughs> but um, the asset thing is what we did this year on that elk hunt. Um, Thousand and I killed our bulls twelve miles in. Um, just to give you an example, we have two fucking elk down and two cameramen, a cameraman, two callers, and me and South, right? So we got five fucking people and 400 pounds of, well, 360 pounds of elk meat to get out. So per, per elk? No, total. total. You know, I think I had 160 and South so had 180. Deboned so and the whole works. Deboned, yep. Um, so, uh, we had, we, I'm like, fuck, like, Dallas and I talked about it. I'm like, we can do it in a day. And so we have this crazy fucking scheme of, okay, South's going to leave. We had to go back in and get mine. So that's four miles, get mine, come out. So that was with llamas though. Um, Mike and I made it with half an elk each for about a mile and a half and fuck, said, fuck it and pulled the pin and uh, went back to camp, slept, got the llamas, went in South and I got my elk, went back to camp. South now goes halfway out with everything but we got to unload the llamas. So I've got at that time, 98 pounds in my pack. Well, I'm surrounded by younger men and we're all looking around like, who's going to throw this shit in their pack. And I am not doing this to bragging, uh, bragging. This is just, it was either not do it in one day or do it in a day. So I said, fuck it. And just started loading shit. There's a video of me getting on my feet and I had almost five more miles with 150 pounds uh, to come out. Without working out, I would not be able to do that. Frank wouldn't be able to go out nine miles with 140 if we didn't work out. And it's not for us. We don't brag about it. You wouldn't even know Frank works out. I posted a photo yesterday mostly to make fun of my white legs and whitetail fit, you know, about working out. But I don't do it. Like, I talk about working out to motivate people, but we don't film each other working out. or It just seems weird. It's like, you, it's, like a, it's a given. It's like you said, eating the meat. Yeah. We work out. I don't need to talk about it all the time. Yeah. Um, he works out more than I do. Like he's a, you go to CrossFit every day, don't you? Yeah, just about. Yeah. yeah. I just, I have a gym downstairs <clears throat> and I live at 10,000 feet. So <clears throat> I'm, I've got a lot of shit around me that I can, you know, work out. I got two giant fucking dogs. I got to walk every day. So I'm getting two to four miles in walking those fuckers either. Yeah, way. no doubt. Anyway, we're almost at three hours. So we probably should get off here. Frank, you got any parting words? <laughs> I, no, I don't. <laughs> Steve, you know, I just like to say thanks for having me and uh, thanks for uh, the tour, you know, around yeah. here and, and seeing there's a, you know, there's a lot more history behind these backpacks in this building uh, than a guy thinks. So that's pretty uh, so cool. 85, 95, 2005, 2000, almost 35 years. Yeah. Well, I was probably, you know, I was probably in here, God, it was eight, maybe eight to 10 years ago. Yeah. And I walked in and, you know, uh, just off the street kind of thing. I wanted to try out the backpacks and get fitted up uh, while I was in town. And uh, of course, you know, being from Canada, it's, you weren't always here, but you know, yeah. the oil and gas business keeps me here a little bit. And um, kind of that's, that's where it all started for me. And now here we are kind of season 12 and partnered together. So it's, it's pretty cool to come back in and, and really get the lowdown again and see the changes. Yeah. A lot has changed. Yeah, <laughs> so no shit. Yeah. Well, no, we appreciate the support and everybody, tell everybody where they can find you on social media so you can become 
in the top 15 of the worst hunters. Oh, yeah, there yeah. you go. Uh, yeah, social media, it's uh, Steve Eklund, Next Level Hunter, both on uh, social or on uh, IG and Facebook. And then uh, The Edge TV airs uh, down here in the States on uh, Pursuit Channel, Cowboy Channel, RFD TV, and uh, Amazon Prime. There you nice. go, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Steve, thanks for everything. We appreciate it. 